Hello everyone and welcome to the Cocky Top Podcast, a sports podcast from an unlikely pair of fans where we give you the team breakdowns from our individual fandom's perspective, as well as our thoughts on teams across college football. So to all you volunteers and Gamecocks and everyone in between, let's kick off. All right, and welcome all you cock and balls to the very second episode. beg your pardon? What? What did you just say? Cock and balls. Cock and balls? Yes, cock and balls. That's our followers, cock and balls. Ooh. You know, Gamecock fans, volunteer fans, cock and balls. Cock and balls. Okay. Yeah. All right, all you cock and balls, and welcome to the second episode of the Cocky Top Podcast. I am your resident Gamecock, Brian. And I am your all of all, Tyler McDaniel. And today we are going to be getting into our position unit preview as we are just getting down to one week away from main action opening up in NCAA football. Of course, we are on week zero that is going to see some fun and interesting matchups that include a game in Germany this year, mm-hmm. as well as... Vanderbilt heading over to the island in Hawaii. Unfortunately, all the stuff that's still going on over there right now, uh, they are still planning on making the trip over to the island and hopefully bringing some sort of reprieve to the otherwise negative stuff that's been happening uh, over in Hawaii right now. Um, But first off, before we get into that position unit preview, which we are going to be covering offense, defense, and special teams Mm -hmm. in this episode since it is football season literally this week uh we're actually going to start you off with a little not exactly football football news yes so tyler i'm actually going to turn it over to you so you can give us the lowdown on some tennessee happenings all right so what's going on in the volunteer state little non-football football news is uh first off a really cool one is brew mccoy Current wide receiver. Current wide receiver of the Tennessee Volunteers has a new NIL deal. And uh, that will, and I think I think this is, this is going to set a precedent, I believe, moving forward. Players trying to do this. But uh, his new NIL deal will donate an AEE, AED device for every touchdown scored during the 2023 season. That's fantastic. I think that's awesome. A college student taking his ability to make money off of his name, image, and likeness, mm-hmm. what, of course, NIL stands for, and instead of just pocketing money, he is going ahead and having a life-saving device, yep. an AED device, donated to a, a business or a, or organization in need mm-hmm. of an AED device that they could otherwise not pay for themselves for every touchdown he scores. A, an AED device is being donated. Because if you've been in any kind of business, you know, whether we were in the theater world or even here, AED devices are can be very expensive for businesses. Oh, yes. Very, purchase. very. So, thousands of dollars. So that's just a really cool thing that he's doing. Yeah. Oh, and, really awesome. and with the way that Tennessee's offense was, especially in the 2022 season, uh, yes. and with the, the main ball catchers that Hendon Hooker mm. was throwing to, um, it seems like Brew McCoy is shaping up to be that uh, mm-hmm. wide receiver one yeah. for the most part. And if Milton can can yeah. sling the rock any way, shape, form, or fashion the way that 
that Hendon Hooker did last year that that should prove to be beneficial to a lot of organizations yeah. that could benefit from getting that AED. I'm excited to see what more comes of this. Uh, some more Tennessee news. Uh, former UT quarterback Josh Dobbs was recently named president of the Alumni Board of Directors. Dobbs graduated in 2017 with a degree in aerospace engineering and will serve as president for the 2023-2024 year as well as still being on the roster for the Cleveland Browns. So wearing some hats, wearing a lot of hats. He is definitely smart enough to do it. Uh, if you'll remember yeah, a one degree of his, in aerospace engineering. One of his big things uh, during his time was the Hail Mary uh, to beat uh, Georgia, against Georgia yep. a few years ago. That was one of his big calling cards. Uh, one of the few good things that came out of the Butch Jones era was Josh Dobbs. Looking forward to seeing uh, what all that entails. I've, I've never really uh, kept my ear to the ground on what all that does. I guess he, he kind of coordinates and plans with other alumni board members as well as like alumni coming to different games and fundraising, and fundraising especially for NIL. Yes, events, stuff like that. So uh, I look forward to see what Josh Dobbs brings to that. Uh, he's a very smart individual. Uh, one that I'm not very excited about, but I guess, you know, it just happens. Uh, the Tennessee Athletics has recently announced a multi-year naming rights agreement with longtime corporate champion Food City. The 10-year, $20 million agreement will aid in new and needed renovations like new center-hung video board updated exterior and entrances, new premium spaces and clubs, continued elevation of additional upgrades, and the new name will be Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. And I believe I told you before we started recording, I dare them to try to get Traditionalist Falls to say that whole name. Right, It's still going to be Thompson it's Bowling. It's Thompson Bowling. Or yeah. I'm going to TV for a concert or, or uh, Thompson that, yeah, that's for a the concert. Thing. You're go- yeah, that's a wrestling event, yeah. whatever. Uh, it's, I'm going not to TV or Thompson Bowling. I mean, it's fantastic. The Food City is such a great partner with the Vols and donates a lot of money, and it's fantastic for the school uh, and the, the program. But I don't know. It's also supposed to come on top of, like, all this – construction going on the expansion Thompson, the expansion we're supposed to be getting new expansion on the the south end zone like new bathrooms and all that and literally like a couple miles down the road over the next year or two they're going to be building the smoky stadium so the whole area might be a nightmare to coordinate over the next few years Oh, I bet. Mm. With baseball, mm-hmm. of course, having the volunteers during the mm. – well, I mean, for football yeah. during the fall, mm-hmm. uh, getting into the wintertime whenever basketball season gets kicked back up. But I am glad to see that the Thompson Bowling Arena is getting some yes. upgrades because they've been well overdue. I mean, the last time that any kind of real money got spent on it would have been during the Pat Summit years yeah. and the Lady Vols run a domination. Yeah, they absolutely Similar did. to what, you know, South Carolina women's basketball yeah, is experiencing they now. they deserve all the, the funds spent on them as well. The arena there in South Carolina, of course, received multiple upgrades and mm. thanks to women's athletics yes. as opposed to men's athletics. And while that's not – doesn't seem to, of course, line up in this instance, mm-hmm. I mean – it, it that arena in and of itself wouldn't have rose to prominence had it not been for Pat Summit true. and her lady volunteers Absolutely during true. their run. So, um, good deal for Thompson Bowling yeah. Arena. And and looking at the fact that they're talking about the continued elevation of additional upgrades, I think one of the things that can mainly benefit, especially for having 
other than sports uh, venues or whatever mm-hmm. there is the audio system. Yes. Thompson Bowling's audio system needs a really good overhaul, mm-hmm. especially for concert venues that are using anything house from Thompson mm-hmm. as opposed to their own cabinets and stuff like that. So some awesome news. Uh, going back to uh, Josh Dobbs real quick, mm-hmm. is I wonder if this is a situation where like at any point in time, because I think he's third string listed, third string yes. for the Browns right now. Yes. Uh, some more practice squad type thing. Mm. So I wonder if he's tra- traveling back and forth as much or if it's a situation of, you know, know. he's not really as needed through the Browns. Yeah. So, But, no, I think it's really great that they've brought a former player back into the fold, mm. uh, especially with it being head of the alumni board of directors because him as one of the record-setting quarterbacks for University of Tennessee, it's definitely easier Mm. Uh, and it makes those wallets open up a little bit easier whenever they are trying to do fundraising for yeah. the school and stuff like that. Uh, and, of course, we it goes without mentioning the, the Brew McCoy oh, NIL yeah. deal. Um, and and I that. hope that that is the case, that several other student athletes across the country um, take up that same, mm-hmm. that same mantle and, and will do something along those lines to, to yeah. better their communities as well. Well, speaking of not-so-football football news, as you know, since 2000... I, God, it's been so long, I can't even exactly remember. I know it's in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, Sandstorm was originally played during a uh, bout with Ole Miss, and it was basically a rallying, you know, just pumped up the energy for the Gamecocks, and we went on to win that game. And ever since then... Sandstorm has been included as part of the Gamecock athletics, whether mm-hmm. it be football, basketball, baseball, soccer, hockey, anything that's involved with Gamecock athletics, mm-hmm. just for that, you know, that burst of energy or just for that, that stadium anthem yeah. or, or uh, arena anthem, we use Darude's. Sandstorm. There are some stadium edits that includes a bit more bass and stuff like that, but all in all, you know, the the same one that he produced several years ago is indeed the one mm. that is used for not only Gamecock athletics, but it's also synonymous with athletic venues across the oh. world. Well, he will actually be performing Sandstorm mm. as well as some of his other hits at Gamecock Park as part of the pregame festivities for the Kentucky game and is listed as the celebrity starter for the Gamecock chant because at the beginning of every home game, you have a celebrity starter that comes in and starts the Gamecock chant where half the stadium, usually the home side, starts off the game part of it, visitors' side, and in most cases in Williams-Brice Stadium, if you've ever been there, there's always more home team people (laughs) occupying even what would be the visitor's side as well and that side is the cox side of the chant so you have the the game cox chant and that's usually led like i said by a a former alum Mm -hmm. uh sports celebrity celebrity however Mm -hmm. and this time it's going to be darud so he's going to be leading straight into after the game cox chant Sandstorm. The sandstorm. That's cool. right before Kentucky. So yeah, I, I, I love sandstorm. I mean, I know it's it's 
pretty synonymous with South Carolina football and South Carolina sports, but it's one of those hype songs straight out of our younger years. And oh, it for still sure. lasted to this day uh, as, as an amped-up song. Clubs still play it, other mm-hmm. sports places. I mean, it's just – and that's going to be cool. Like, I, I, I think that's exciting when stuff like that happens. And to give you props and credit – the opening music for this show <laughs> that mashup is is it's, fantastic it's, cool. it's tasty and speaking of other like we were talking about uh women's athletics earlier gamecock women's basketball phenom asia wilson led the las vegas aces last night to a 112 actually when you're listening to this this was going to be what would be tuesday night, tuesday night of yeah. this week uh, right after our Davy Crockett episode mm-hmm. of Between Two Barrels, uh, brought to you by Legend Studios, but she led the Las Vegas Aces to a 112 to 100 point victory over the Atlanta Dream, tying a WNBA record performance with 53 points. Goodness gracious! There are three people that have eclipsed 50 points as an individual mm-hmm. during a game in the WNBA. And she is one of those three. The That's other cool. person she had tied with with 53, and then the other person had 51. And those have all been in the uh, 20 teens uh, to now. Uh, 2016, 2018, Relatively and then just now. Yeah. So with that out of the way, with the not-so-or-not-quite-football football news, we are going to actually move on into what this entire episode is about, and that is going to be the position unit breakdown. We're actually going to be listing out the different positions, different players. And, of course, we are going to be spending some time after we get through all of that breaking down our thoughts on, of course, the offense, defense, and special team outlook for the 2023 season after having given you a brief recap of what all happened during the 2022 season. As a matter of fact, let's actually go ahead. I know it's a little bit out of line from the notes, but just so that way we've got some information to go off of based off of what last year's stats were going into this season. And Tyler, I'm actually going to go ahead and have you start off with uh, Tennessee here in just a moment, who as should come as no surprise to anyone had the number one offense and the in terms of points per game as well as yards per Mm -hmm. game for the 2022 season Uh, south carolina of course not faring as well but whenever we break it down you'll be able to see that on paper um, some really surprising and not so surprising things yes yes uh tennessee uh for the first time in a long time took uh the number one spot in both the points per game on the offense, as well as yards per game, um, so which was you know it's it's always fantastic. But you, you're you, so used to seeing like Bama and Georgia and those kind mm-hmm. of names. So uh, so last year's offense we had 44.5 points per game, um, which is was just unheard of for years in Tennessee. Or even just to hit 40 yeah. points in a game of football yeah. because it had been so defensively mm-hmm. minded. It's The mantra has always been it takes a defense to win championships, win. Yeah. which is still true to an extent. But with so many teams that are just being able to rack up the points, yes. you want to be able to rack up points. And usually you're over under for a game is 
total for a game is 40 something points mm-hmm. much less because you're looking at you know you're 25 or 27 to, to 21 or mm. 28 to 21 that sort of thing just barely cracking that 50 points all together and now here it is a situation Tennessee last year with 44 and a half points per game average per per game average yeah meaning that they had to there on several times scoring more yeah. than 40 yeah. points per game or there 45 some, points uh, per game 50 and 60s in there somewhere uh, to help that average uh, and we also uh, sat at 511 yards per per game. That's um, another one that's just yeah. insane. That's, that's their av- their that's average. It's over five football fields. So okay, all right, go ahead and say that they're averaging 511 yards per game, which means you can go ahead and say they're averaging five touchdowns. Yeah. Per game. Yeah. I mean, do the math real quick. If you mm-hmm. go ahead and include the PAT, seven times five, I mean, yeah. you're already ten points away from what your score average mm-hmm. was for what the entire season would be. Looking at it, I mean, if you break it down into, you know, smaller mm-hmm. portions basically mm-hmm. or looking at other teams across the, the college football landscape, you're looking at teams that would do half of that as what their average would be. I mean, South Carolina itself was averaging only 377.4 yards per game, and that was enough to get them number 68. So you're going from 511 yards per game to take the number one spot, and yes, it's less than, you know, 200 yards difference, but still, you look at that, you look at that 200 yards difference between number one and number 68. 68 teams did a lot of a lot of running, a lot of throwing yeah. last year. And then you've got 132 teams that make up what would be these statistics. Yes. So you've got another 68-plus teams past South Carolina that did less, and and you're looking at, the, at Tennessee's average being basically the difference between South Carolina and Tennessee's average from last year is what that second 68 teams were scoring were getting on yeah. average per game basically. Yeah. yeah. So that's insane. I mean just the the amount of of distance between those. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but of course just that style of offense, that air raid style offense that Heupel is known mm-hmm. for what he actually ran at Oklahoma mm-hmm. uh, himself as a quarterback before, of course, making the, the journey into coaching. Moving on, let's look at defense. So the defense, not as good. Uh, <laughs> so we sat at number 30, 22.7 points allowed per game, over 406 yards allowed per game. That's We allowed an average of four touchdowns against us. And after I was looking at this, it was a situation, once I did more of the deep dive into it, Mm. it's passing yards. Tennessee's really good at stopping the run, but could not stop the pass. Vice versa, South Carolina, really good at stopping the pass, Mm. can't stop the run for squat. So that's where a lot of the yards came against South Carolina, and we're going to get to theirs here in just a moment, because they had more than what Tennessee allowed. Uh, which was surprising considering the outcome of last year's game. Mm-hmm. But the strength for Tennessee was definitely the passing game, the strength for South Carolina stopping passing yeah. or being able to lock down those receivers. And, of course, that is what led to the outcome of that game. But still, I mean, 
you're only allowing on average half of what you score. So I mean that in and of itself, yeah, is in terms of the points per game is it's fantastic. Still it's still great. I mean, especially since it was where we were three and four years ago, right? Um, so it's still great, but uh, it definitely, you know, your your repeat champions, you know, are are going to give less numbers. Right, numbers they're always going to so be in those chase that. top fifteen, yeah. top twenty, and that's what you know everybody's aspiring yeah. for. Yeah, and of course, as we uh, kind of joked about last. Last week, you know, uh, special teams is kind of that unsung uh, group. You know, for the you, most part, yeah. For the across most part, the country, you know, I mean, not, not as much focus. emphasis is put on special yeah. teams. It's it's an afterthought for sure. And while this is not um, terrible, uh, you know, by any means, uh, I still think that we could use some some growth in the special teams. Uh, we sat at eighty three point thirty three percent, and that was uh, had us at number thirty three. Um, right. Which still, again, and this particular, awful, yeah, and this particular stat was just on field goal conversions, mm-hmm. just for uh, non-PAT field goal yeah. attempts. This one didn't include blocked punts, blocked yeah. PATs, mm-hmm. anything like that. This is just for just regular field goal percentage, just mm-hmm. what would be a scoring, a full-on scoring aspect of what special teams would be. Uh, which, I mean, they definitely had some plays looking into it throughout the year that were definitely uh, more indicative of mm. how Tennessee does do as special teams. Like you said, though, even though it's not for a majority of teams a, a point of emphasis, uh, like we'll talk about a little bit later, whenever that is a part of what mm. – South Carolina's current head coach and his father, you know, were synonymous for. But yeah, still to be able to complete over 80%, almost 85% of all field goals, which I mean, if I looked into it, I think it was two. I think two. two field goals that was missed the entire season for UT to drop it down to that. Well, and the rest of that statistic that you usually pick up, like uh, uh, field goals or punting, you know, we rarely punted. In in our notes, I've yeah. got that in the fact that whenever you look at it, and we'll you know talk about that in the 2023 season outlook, mm-hmm. is you're right. Tennessee really didn't have too many he field goal opportunities <laughs> just because – I mean, he was able to kick those PATs. Yeah. He wasn't having to worry about trying to kick field goals to get points on the board. Moving over to the Gamecocks last year, uh, of course I hit on a couple of little statistics as we were going through the Tennessees. But Gamecocks offense uh, only averaged 30.7 points per game. And they would have been a lot lower than that if it had not been for the later in the year, you know, those last couple of games. Um Honestly, just that Tennessee game, and I know that the Tennessee fans are not going to want to hear it just because of how it did in their season, basically. I mean, yeah, they were able to go on and win the, we went to the a New Year's a New Six, Year's Six but Bowl. It, it destroyed our chances. Beat, at, beat Clemson, yeah. which is, is fantastic in the eyes of any Gamecock. As long as anybody beats Clemson, they're fine with it. As much as they would tell you otherwise, they're yeah. definitely fine with it. But it was just that difficult scheme that Marcus Satterfield was trying to run because it was too pro-centric. It was not a scheme that was developed for college students, students being the main word, that were still trying to have a social life as well as academics and everything else, whereas a professional athlete 
in the you know pro ranks, the NFL, that's their job. That's their job. That's yeah. that's what they get paid to do, and as opposed to in this situation, but thirty point seven points per game to unfortunately only be ranked at number forty out of one hundred and thirty two teams. And then they allowed 377.4 yards per game for 68th. Negative statistic in that column is that almost 200 of those yards were rushing yards. Out of 377, almost 200 of those were rushing yards per game. 197.3 yards per game was the average that the Gamecocks gave up on the ground last year. So basically two touchdowns. The people who are in like that top – you know, top 10, top 15 spot, they're only allowing, like, a touchdown a game. 14 to 17 points per game, yeah. So, I mean, those are numbers that – it takes a lot of drastic change to get to. And like Uh we've we've talked about with both the Vols and Gamecocks, we're still in that – we're coming back, we're coming back. Right, it's it's a building. It's it's a building building, for sure. But, like, just thinking about the numbers that those top people are not allowing is – it's crazy. Now, while we scored 30.7 points per game, we unfortunately also allowed 30.4 points per game. So there's no real room for error in that whatsoever. Mm. And the reason that South Carolina, I think, last year did win as many games as they did is because of the things that happened on special teams, the multiple block kicks, the kickoff return for a touchdown forced fumbles on kickoffs like anytime the special teams had an opportunity to for the most part they were making something happen whether Mm. it's complete field flip or actually basically just a long pass with the punter's foot (laughs) because they forced a fumble down at the 10-15 yard line on the uh, opposing team's side and then recover it. So basically, it was just a long pass just with the punter's foot. We also gave up 420.5 yards per game for 98th. And those were, of course, the Georgia game. Uh, we were in a, a toe-to-toe, back-and-forth battle with Texas A&M, even though we got the W. It was still just back and a forth. Line, it was a, a shootout. It was one of that, that I remember watching that game thinking, this is just going to be – when when the time runs out yeah who's who's ahead when the time time runs out but thankfully i mean there toward the end south carolina was able to go ahead and pull away a little bit but that one was a knockdown drag out the one that really got me was of course the clemson game there at the end we were down by so much uh two touchdowns Mm -hmm. uh after a pick six uh end zone interception all kinds of stuff and then uh, Rattler and the the boys were able to climb back Rally. up, got the field goal to put them one point. Like last, not this last season, but the season before that, we mm-hmm. lost thirty to zero against Clemson. Last year we beat them thirty-one to thirty. It was just it, it, it was almost poetic yeah. in the fact that we didn't score a single point, but this time we only beat you by one point, and that's all it takes is so that, takes that one, one point. point. And then, of course, getting into the bread and butter of what Gamecocks athletics, especially mm-hmm. football, is all about right now. And that is that special teams under head coach Shane Beamer, whose father, Frank Beamer, at Virginia Tech. That was the thing, yeah. was, of course, special teams. Field goal conversion rate of 100%. 
Mitch Jeter did not miss a single field goal all year, and that was out of, I want to say, 14 or 16 attempts. Yeah. So while a few more than Tennessee, I mean, of course, wound up making all of them, but enough can't really be said about the other aspects well, of those are like special teams for the Gamecocks. Dan so. Bailey and Janikowski pro numbers. Right. For, Somebody for that's not missing kicker. anything. Yeah. And uh, all of his attempts were 40-plus yards. Every yeah. single one was over 30 yards – or 40 yards. That's crazy. So, yeah, between 40 and 50-yard bombs with this dude, and he did not miss one. And that's only two of them – Lined up center line, mm-hmm. like most everything else was off toward the hashes. Because he's wiry. He's wiry. He's That's wiry. it. He's wiry. That quote, if you can let us know, yeah. uh, tldtube23 at gmail.com. Yeah. Email us. Let us know where that quote came from. I'll send you out some Tennessee legend stuff. We will definitely do that. And don't forget to go ahead and follow us on all the different socials as well before we get too far into it. If you're enjoying the Cocky Top Podcast with Brian and Tyler, then you will also enjoy other Legend Studios productions. Check out Between Two Barrels with Brian and Opie and the 30 and Nerdy Podcast with Josh and Tyler. If you enjoy those and want to know more about Legend Studios, find us on Legend Studios in Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the rest of the show. So, Tyler, we've actually had this opportunity to go ahead and look at what would be all of the statistics uh, for offense, defense, special teams, for the most Mm -hmm. part, for the 2022 season. What do you say we go ahead and start looking at the players for what is going to be the 2023 season? Mm -hmm. And you go ahead and start us off, of course, with the field general as it were the the man calling the shots from the huddle the the sheriff of the team if you will yeah. if we're yeah. going some old ut reference well not necessarily ut references just ut alum references yeah, UT alum references. and and kick us off with the qb well you know at tennessee uh we, we've got joe milton stepping up into the starting position uh since hendon has graduated and went on to the draft so, and, and Who I mean, picked him up, by the way? Uh, Detroit. Nice. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. Hopefully uh, the Lions can adapt the similar play style to what Hypel so. had been running over the last I last couple that, of years. Uh, there was a little bit of time there where Jerry Jones was very interested in him at, the, at Dallas, and I would have absolutely loved that because – But I already spent too much money yep. on Dak Prescott. Yep. And we're going to keep him. <laughs> Sadly, uh, but that's a rant for a different time. He's going to be this generation's Dan Marino. Mm. He's going to have so much skill and quality to be able to make it just far enough, but never be able to 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 go to the dance mm. or to take home the the dance. And I guess trophy. we're fine with that in Dallas. So I guess we're just okay with that. I, I mean, how many back to back? Was it three, four? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's not like. No, just so. enough to not get fired. <laughs> but no, hopefully Detroit can actually make some some so noise too. and some splash uh, with Hooker. I um, hope so too. And and the the coaching staff, uh, they seem to have a really close knit coaching staff yeah. out there. Just from what you see on TV and stuff like that, the the their head coach seems to be a really players oriented mm-hmm. coach. So 
Stepping in at QB1, we've got returning Joe Milton sitting at 6 foot 5, 235 pounds of man. Uh, this is a quarterback that you don't just hit once and he goes down. He's going to fight. I like K.J. Jefferson from yeah. Arkansas. He's one of those yeah. big body quarterbacks hit him. that could be a, a tight end. Yeah, a tight end, yeah. linebacker, edge rusher, you know, depending on meaning. Just got that big body uh, running back. Uh, just got that really big body, big frame. And from what I've seen and heard, dude can apparently launch a ball 90. Yeah. Nine nine X. He wouldn't say an exact number, yeah. but nine X. That could be yeah. ninety, ninety one, ninety nine, whatever. Yeah. But ninety something yards in the air. And that's just insane. It looks like he's like if I were to stand right here and just throw a uh, a paper wad across the room. That's how easy he makes it look. Right, just a flick of the wrist, and yeah. it's it's He's launched. Like, God, that's insane. He's not having to wind up or anything. Uh, and he uh, obviously was the transfer from Michigan, who had the start, the who had the starting job, got hurt. That's what brought Hendon in. Uh, right. So hopefully he is uh, going to finish the story uh, for for him and the Vols. Uh, but our backup, uh, Nico Amaliva, just as I mean, this kid is is going to. To turn some heads when he when he is either in the game or takes over after Joe's gone. Uh, sitting at 6'6", six, six, uh, 206 pounds. He's just freshman, and he's that stacked. And oh, yeah. looking at him in fall camp videos, I'm like, good God. And then we've got this third string who's like also four or five star, who I'm like, he, if he stays, right, he'll probably get a job in the transfer portal if he realizes, like, I'm not playing here. Right, and that's something that's that's a very fine line to have to tread. And for the, just going to keep recruiting for the coaches today is so. not only do you have to recruit these kids into your program, but once they get into your program, you're having to basically recruit to keep them there mm-hmm. because if they see or smell or hear about greener grass, there's there's a part of them because they are still. I mean, I don't want to take away from these these guys because know. you know. They're human beings, but I mean they're also young human beings. We have plenty and, of and stuff something to do. like that could especially if there's money involved with the new world of NIL and stuff like that, I mean I could see where it would be very easy for them to decide to go elsewhere, uh, for promises of greener pastures. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously Joe's first test is actually a pretty good test. I mean, we're we're opening up against Virginia in Nissan Stadium. Uh, Virginia is is no slouch of a team, no um, by any means necessary. It's not like we're opening up against a a Vandy or a, a an ETSU or an MTSU or whatever. It's it's not a it's not a win. It's not a guaranteed win. Going Virginia's, ahead and calling out Bama there right off the jump, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Starting off with ETSU. Yeah, um, it's definitely going to be a challenge. I think Joe, like I said in the last episode, I think he's got it. I think. Um, He's got just as much, if not more, to prove this year than Hendon did last year. Well, it's what I heard a, a, a person refer to um, and someone that we both listen to, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and give another uh, plug on here for this one for Josh Pate, yeah. Lake Cake with Josh Pate Live. Uh, hopefully we can get one of those chalice, chalice of supremacy. I hope so. Uh, the fact that it being more, and uh, Josh Pate used this in reference to uh, actually the Gamecocks quarterback mm-hmm. in what would have been Tuesday's broadcast for late kick. 
uh, if you're listening to this um, on what would be uh, Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, we actually uh, recorded on what would be Wednesday this week. So we had just had the Late Kick Tuesday episode, and of course you'll be able to hear the uh, Thursday episode coming up before uh, this one's available. But he was talking about Spencer Rattler and this being the quote-unquote the contract or the prove-it year because it is the last year, same thing in this case, mm-hmm. for um, uh, Joe Milton yeah. and the fact that he needs to – he's got a lot to prove. I mean, it he's does. basically trying to make it to the next level. I mean, he's had a couple of opportunities at a couple of different stops transferring in from Michigan. Uh, having the starting job and then getting hurt – Allowing I mean, Hooker to come sister, in and stuff like that. You so. know, when he was coming in from Michigan, was was like, oh, Tennessee got Cam Newton 2.0. Right. So, I mean, they're throwing you in, in league with Cam Newton, who everyone knows the the career he had at both Auburn and in the pros. You're going to have to live up to that. Right. You're not only having to live up to, oh, you were under Hendon last year and you won one of the New Year's Six Bowl games. Right. But then people are calling you Cam 2.0. Like, so he doesn't just have to worry about taking over for Hendon and for an 11 and 2, you know, Tennessee team. He's also got this name An SEC championship winner. An SEC championship winner. winner and, a and Heisman qualifier. And, you know, a Super Bowl. Super Bowl champion. Yeah. And champion. So he's got a lot on his shoulders as it is. So he's got just as much, if not more, to live up to. Um, and this Nico guy. I mean, what I have seen and, and read about him, I'm just as excited for next year to see Nico step in. Right. And, um, I mean, provided uh, Milton doesn't yeah. have any kind of injuries, I mean, yeah. if that were to or happen, we then, of course. Whip and ass, then we might see Nico pretty early. Right. That's true. I so, mean, to uh, be able to. I think our depth is good, even with the third string. And, like I said, Hypo is only going to continue to uh, get more four- and five-star QBs to come in. He's going to keep, you know – loading his air raid offense up with with talent so um as for for moving on with the offense we got you know jabari small at the running back position coming back number one rusher from yeah. last year um, i mean he can he can take the ball of course we got jalen wright coming back to back him up at 511 210 and uh, a couple so of smaller backs considered they but they're, they're they're speedy they're they're not as much as like a derrick henry as they're more of like a, a mcfadden right they're, they're gone you know they're going to yeah. go, um, and if you give them a hole, they'll they'll double what they initially set out to to get. And then of course our wide receiver and our air raid offense. You know we've got our X, Y, and Z receivers. Uh, we've got Brew McCoy returning, who we've already talked about. Uh, we've got uh, who who of course came to us from uh, the West Coast, the other USC, and, yeah, and the mm-hmm. other UT. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, McCoy had actually gone through uh, Southern Cal, University of Southern California, mm-hmm. and uh, the Longhorns, Texas, mm-hmm. like you put it, the other UT, the, other the, UT. the ugly orange. The ugly UT. And, of course, all jokes aside, uh, a Nimrod on our team. We've got Chase Nimrod uh, sitting at uh, 6'3", 196 pounds. The kid, from what I can see, can go. And we'll go up for that ball. So I'm excited to see our, our X receivers. Uh, why? We've got, of course, the returning squirrel. Wait. the His government name is Squirrel? I would love to meet his parents. I really would. 
Squirrel. I can't say anything. Squirrel. I, I can't. We've got some names on the I'm South Carolina you. roster, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, somebody, uh, there's a, a personality that they do, like, the top 10, top 15 mm. football names. Mm. For every year, and I think that would be a fun segment to, to be able to do for us for for a season or, yeah. or for an episode is to do our favorite Especially football if, names. Like, as we're as we're winding down at the end of the year. Oh, for Afterwards, sure. Afterwards, like, oh, we're gonna do a special like the worst flags thrown, worst. Oh, there names. we go. Yeah, the worst calls, worst of, the calls season. of the season. Best yeah. football names. That sounds yeah. like a really good idea. That is, and of course we got a uh, backing up Squirrel White. We've got Dante mm. Thornton Jr. He's also, I mean, he's he's a monster. Uh, transfer from Oregon, six uh, five, two hundred fourteen pounds. Yeah. Heck yeah! I mean, so, and then of course in our Z slots we got the uh, uh, Ramel Keaton, who had quite a few catches last year. Quite a few catches. I remember hearing his name quite a bit. And Caleb Webb backing him up. I mean, so I think that Hapel's only continuing the the. We got some great names coming back, and we're going to see some new names showing up this year as well as the coming years. Um, the cool thing, uh, I will say the cool thing, knowing what Hypo's offense is and knowing that air raid is what Tennessee is doing now and not, you know, it not being a thing of like, well, he did air raid last year. What's he doing this year? No, you know it's going to be air raid. So right. now we know going into things like his focus is these named receivers, these four- and five-star players from across yep. the country. So it's going to be exciting to see uh, – what other names start coming through, putting the orange on. Um, and, of course, my favorite position uh, in, in football is tight end, mainly because of Jason Witten. I just think that it, it's it's one of those versatile positions that I love. And the fact, like, you know, yeah, they're big and they can catch a ball if they need that. You know, we need these four yards. Right. And you're, you're harder to take down. Or oh, for they'll sure. lay a block that – Oh, Just open up hurts. a running lane for <laughs> you know? a for a for a running yeah. back or, so, or to uh, be able to pop love a receiver the out. Yeah, of a tight end. Uh, we got Jacob Warren uh, returning. Uh, he put up some great numbers. We got. I had uh, fun with Callen this one. McCollin Castles. McCollin Castles. Castles. Uh, and uh, he was, of course, a senior transfer from UC Davis in California. Uh, so, quick question: mm-hmm. How do you call a castle? <laughs> Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. I love it. McCollin Castles. I'll be McCollin Castles. I'll be McCollin Castles. Good. I'll be McCollin, my mother. <laughs> so, like you said, you know, the tight end position, not only can they do that, but they can, you mm-hmm. know, put the knuckles to the ground, get down into it, mm-hmm. throw a block, and just extend what that offensive line would be. And you have to definitely be a big body to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. Jacob Warren, 6'6", 235, and his backup, 6'5", 252. They're so, yeah, there's some big dudes. But whenever you get into the line, I mean, you're getting into the 300-plus pound dudes, especially on the offensive line, because it's their job to, to one, push that defensive line around to, mm-hmm. to make sure that the quarterback or the Gets. running back can get, you know, yeah. some open lanes and stuff like that and, and tuck it and go. But also, whenever you get into pass pro, I mean, you're wanting, like, some sumo-style dudes that can can make sure that, that opposing defenses can't get well, to that QB. Well, and I QB. think the thing that, that Joe's also going to have to have that Hendon had was he's going to have to have six, seven, eight seconds every single play. And that's the thing is making sure that you've got that time. And, mm-hmm. yes, you are correct. That is that O-line and, and, and those big-body dudes. And I didn't get into the – 
listing as many of the the backups because usually whenever it comes to an o-line for the most part yep. your front five yeah. is your front five unless you're unfortunate an injury happens right um so of course our our o-line is sitting at john campbell jr transfer from miami six five three hundred and twenty pounds uh we got our ollie lane sitting at six four three twenty Ah, oh, God, these are big boys. We got our center. We got Cooper Mays returning, 6'3", 305 pounds. Cooper is is a big reason behind why Hendon had so much time last year. Yeah, that center position. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're doing checks. You're seeing what kind of formations the defenses <laughs> yeah, are in. Then, of course, you know, snapping the ball. Mm-hmm. And then once you snap the ball, I mean, you've got people. You've got massive dudes mm-hmm. right there in your face trying to, to – pancake you to flat back you Mm -hmm. put you on your ass to get to that qb so i mean you're having to to move and and that's 305 pounds at 6'3 trying to move that quick i mean it's it's a feat that's hard it's It's a a feat feat. Uh, and of course we got javante sproggins at right guard 6'3 325 pounds uh we got our right tackle jeremiah crawford uh another returner who uh played out played really well last year 65 315 pounds and uh i gotta tell you i mean i'm excited for this o-line especially considering so many returning names so we're not having to worry about how young they are how small they are they are have been in this system for a while uh and and you know earning those starting positions but you know like i asked last last week is is you know, if we're unfortunate and, and the way Cooper Mays' health has been his entire time at Tennessee. Right. One goes down, do we have a four- and five-star stepping in? Or are we going to be like, oh, God. No, and I think for you guys, so, I mean, even though I didn't list those, um, you can probably look at the, oh, yeah, the, I mean, the depth our, chart our, and be able to see that there are definitely I some mean, yeah, we, some stars to be able to take the places. We've got some, some depth. uh that, that if we must, we do have, uh, luckily, compared to the last few years, a little bit more depth to play with. But speaking great. speaking to your core, your center, your left guard, your right guard, those mm-hmm. main three mm-hmm. big bodies across the center, you're looking at an average of six foot three, mm-hmm. 317 pounds mm-hmm. of man and muscle mm-hmm. to be able to help protect or to open up those lanes. And like you said, they're and all they're, seniors this they're year. Veterans, yeah. yeah, they're straight vets. I mean, they've mm-hmm. been around the program for quite a while. And like you said, last year Cooper Mays anchoring that center position as a junior, and now coming back. I mean, you just got that 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 gel, that mm-hmm. mesh. Uh, the only concerns right now are going to be on the edges with the left and right tackle. Yeah, um, and that's where you know that main focal point of attack I think is going to come from, from opposing oh, yeah, defenses from against yeah. uh, Tennessee is just to try what those guys would be. And more than likely, it looks like it's probably going to be against Crawford, who isn't giving up much to John Campbell Jr., but coming from Butler Community College, which doesn't really make a hill of beans, hmm. um, to, to quote an old uh, – <laughs> <laughs> to, to to use an old saying, or as uh, Pate would say, as Meemaw would say, Meemaw would say. Um, it doesn't really matter where you're coming from. I mean, uh, Juice Wells, receiver for South Carolina mm. from James Madison, and was the number two receiver in all of college football last year. 
behind Jalen Hyatt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You put them in the, the right opportunity, and they do have the uh, possibility to perform. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that, in my opinion, I think that would be the spot where anybody would try to attack from. But, like I said, you've got so much returning that it's going to be hard-pressed to, to, to get to Milton. So, I mean, he probably will have enough time. Yeah. Uh, my main question is just going to be, does he have the touch? Like yes. I said, we know he can launch it for 90-plus yards, but has he got to have the touch and the accuracy? Yeah. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, so on the defensive side of the ball, uh, we've got – uh, returning Tyler Barron, Dominic Bailey, we've got uh, Roman Harrison, Joshua Josephs. And these are all your edge guys. Yeah. These are all the guys that are going to be getting after those opposing quarterbacks mm-hmm. week in and week out. And then we've got the nose tackle, the big guy up front. we got Omari Thomas, Elijah Simmons, and of course we got Bryson Essen and uh, Kurt Garland. Kurt Garland are going to be uh, – Hopefully forces to be reckoned with. I know that I said that I was more curious about our O-line strength than our defense. But, you know, just like we said, defense wins championships. They right. Just as, they're the ones who have to, you know, balance it out with giving our offense a break but not allowing points. And looking at it, I mean, you've got three seniors and a redshirt junior mm. as the, the listed starters right now according to the depth chart that we got from our lads. And and that's another thing, just like with the, the O-line. I mean, you've got a lot of meshing, a lot of gelling that these dudes have been through because you don't have any transfers coming in really anywhere in the two deep uh, for the defensive line for Tennessee. And and again, you've got some massive size there. Uh, your, your edge rushers, you're looking at a 260-pound, 235-pound, 280-pound, 242-pound. Guys, six two, six three, six five. I mean, massive dudes that are going to be getting after the quarterback from those edge positions. But then you've got those middle guys that are plugging up those run lanes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, um, holding people up to allow the the linebackers to come in and provide some support on those runs and those short passes. And you're looking at guys six four, six three, six two. Anywhere from 310 to 340 pounds that's just going to be plugging these holes mm-hmm. and, and, and trying to stop the run, which Tennessee did do a really good job of last year. The The main question is going to be in that, not necessarily the linebacking core, but getting into your defensive backs, your cornerbacks, safeties, stuff well, I, like that. And I love a good linebacker core because it's probably my second favorite position because they're just like, where's the ball, where's the ball, where's the ball? Cause, I, mean, I mean, if you look at it, honestly, they're almost like the tight end of the yeah, defense. of the defense. Um, Aaron Beasley. I heard uh, that name quite a bit last yeah. year. Yeah, heck of a player. And Elijah Herring. Uh, we've got weak side linebackers, uh, Keenan Phil, and a tr- uh, who, who transferred from BYU, and, and Khalid Perry. Uh, so hopefully that, uh, that kind of one-two punch of both those linebacker cores mm-hmm. uh, will increase our defense. Um, and, of course, you know, at our corner we got uh, Slaughter returning and, uh, you know, Warren Burrell, and these are – Those are the types of names that you kind of want to hear from a defense. Yes, Slaughter, Burrell, Warren, you know. So, yeah. uh, and, of course, at our strong safety we got Wesley Walker, uh, transferred from Georgia Tech. And uh, Christian Charles, 
And uh, looking at our free safeties, we got Jalen McCullough returning to senior year. Uh, he had a lot of great plays last year mm-hmm. on the defense. Another name that you heard quite a bit. Uh, Andre uh, Turrentine, and, uh, who transferred from Ohio State. Oh, wait, don't you mean the Ohio State? <sighs> Did I just hear your eyes roll? Yes. That is a <laughs> that is a a culture that I that's one of the top cultures that I cannot stand in football is it's the Ohio State. Has Tennessee actually ever played Ohio we State? We played them one time. What was the outcome? We beat them. Good. So we're in the same. I mean, they can have same boat with that because every can time they have that the V, we'll have the V in our history. So there you go. Yeah. They can have the V. The we got the V. I We've love it. We got the it. victory. So they can have their the all they want um, from the volunteers. There you go. Uh, and of course, uh, we got our corners. Um, Brandon Brandon uh, Turnage uh, transferred from Alabama and come out Haddon. I uh, transferred from Independence Community College. Look at Charles stealing one away from Bama. Mm-hmm. Kicker, Charles Campbell. Your place kicker, that's yeah. right. Yeah, place handling kicker. the kickoff and uh, PATs. PATs. Uh, hopefully punter Jackson Ross, like last year, will not have to uh, have too much to do. But he I thought it was from Australia. Well, no, he's redshirt freshman. Redshirt so freshman. it was a situation where oh. he just redshirted last year, but – they were actually able to pull a kid out of Australia to That's be able cool. to be the punter for UT. Big, uh, big, uh, as, as we call soccer, football. Football. Clubs in Australia. Um, punt returner D. Williams, transferred from East Central Community College. Uh, and kick returner D. Williams, or you'll probably see Squirrel White out there as well. He had a pretty good uh, uh, kick return couple times last year yeah i remember a few of those just catching some of the highlights and stuff like that for sure um overall i mean it seems like tennessee as i was going through and and getting some of the the depth charts and stuff like that put together uh, tennessee definitely has a lot of senior talent Mm -hmm. like you've got a lot of the upperclassmen that are are a part of this team that have been there for hypo or in hypo's scheme for a couple of years especially on the offensive side of the ball with with a few transfers in uh but it seems like the defense has a bigger opportunity to stay take a bigger step Mm -hmm. forward uh just because of the fact that you do have more of that that returning Camaraderie, just that that group of guys with with very few transfers having to try to mesh in with that. We're led by returning head coach Josh Heupel. Right. So, and uh, offensive coordinator Joey Halsell, mm-hmm. uh, who also works with quarterbacks. Defensive coordinator Tim Banks, uh, special teams coordinator and outside linebackers uh, Mike Eck- Eckler. Eckler. Yep. Um, so, hopefully, you know we're in the third year of Heupel now. Um, which we could hopefully only go up. Uh, right. I know we'll talk about you know feelings and thoughts and predictions going in a little bit. Uh, but uh, let's let's uh, let's flip the side. How's South Carolina looking? Well, uh, Gamecocks heading into their third year under head coach Shane Beamer. Like I said earlier, the son of legendary Hall of Famer Frank Beamer from Virginia Tech, where Shane actually was a long snapper and wide receiver for his father Mm -hmm. during his playing days. 
Um, new offensive coordinator Dowell Logan spent several years in the NFL uh, before coming back into the coll- – actually joining for the first time the collegiate ranks. He actually was a NFL coach before mm-hmm. he actually did anything in the, the college level, uh, starting off at Arkansas as the tight ends coach and is now, like I said, the quarterback's coach as well as offensive coordinator for South Carolina. Uh, Third-year defensive coordinator Clayton White, who has been doing some really good things with the defense over there at South Carolina. And, of course, special teams uh, coordinator and assistant head coach Pete Limbo. Um, You probably recognize the name Pete Limbo from Memphis, uh, who for several years was, of course, doing all kinds of really good stuff on special teams. And one of the few teams across college football that actually has a full-fledged coordinator for special teams not just a special teams coach or whatever like he's that's the only thing he really does is special teams he's not a position coach and special teams coordinator i mean nothing against it because like uh, tennessee special teams coordinator as well as linebackers linebackers, coach uh but yeah pete limbo the only thing he does is special teams Mm -hmm. so but looking at the Gamecock schedule, of course, we do have returning quarterback Spencer Rattler, 6'1", 217, who is a redshirt senior this year, transfer from Oklahoma, and he is being backed up. And this is a little bit of controversy right now amongst the Gamecock faithful uh, by Luke Doty out of Myrtle Beach, 6'1", 209, who is a junior this year. He's actually been seen taking a few reps at the wide receiver position, which we already had a player come into South Carolina recruited during the Will Muschamp tenure uh, and to carry on Joyner who you probably remember from the Dukes Mayo Bowl as coming in and becoming the MVP after playing the entire season as a wide receiver that game went back to the quarterback position and won against then the same basically the same North Carolina team that we're going to be opening the season with uh, here coming up this next week yes uh, Battle of the Carolinas but there's not going to be a uh, bucket full of mayonnaise dumped onto the winning coach's head for this go-around. I'm just going to say that's disgusting. That is very disgusting, and I think he got a slight concussion from that, if I'm not mistaken, Shane Beamer, because whenever they went to dump it the first time, it wasn't of a liquid enough consistency to actually like pour, so they had to kind of shake the bucket, and whenever they shook it, that gravity pulled the bucket down in the back of it, I think cracked him on the head. But, I mean, it hasn't caused any kind of problems because we had a better record last year than what we did the year before. That's very true. Um, But, yeah, uh, new incoming freshman, not redshirt freshman. This is their first year. Lenore Sellers uh, has been turning a lot of heads, raising a lot of eyebrows uh, concerning. So, while we may see him this year in the same capacity that we were talking about, I'm Oliva coming in uh, in the event that the scores run up, and they want to get some some work for, uh, but the thing with with Lenore Sellers is that since he is a true freshman, if he does play in more than four games, that red shirt's gone. So uh, maybe a situation where they're trying to to preserve that. Um, we do have several more QBs uh, very similar, um, just not of course the same type of offensive system coming in. Uh, Lenore Sellers there. We've got a kid by the name of Dante Reno who has been very, very vocal on the recruiting trail for South Carolina. Uh, One thing that since I'm not as in tune with the 
volunteer world, of course, as you are. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed uh, throughout the last several years, especially during the Shane Beamer tenure of uh, South Carolina head coach, is that you've got a lot of the recruits and commitments are doing a lot of the recruiting for the team more so than even the coaches are trying to get people in. Um, but Lenore Sellers, Dante Reno, we actually have a kid already committed to the 2025 class for a quarterback Uh-oh. whose name is Landon Duckworth. <gasps> I know it, Mr. Duckworth, and I'm going to love it if he winds up sticking with us and uh, actually becomes you know, a, a, a featured uh, portion of the South Carolina offense. But like we were saying with uh, uh, Joe Milton earlier, this is that this is that contract year, so to speak. Like if he were a pro, if he was trying to to make sure that he got the the big payday after what would be his rookie contract, this is that sort of year. So I definitely expect to see uh, a lot of airing it out. Um, South Carolina definitely adapting more toward an air raid style offense to be able to open up those running lanes to to keep defensive lines and defensive backs honest um and then getting over into what was one of the biggest deficits for university of south carolina in the 2022 season even though we had some serious talent at running back um they just never really could get going i don't know if it was because of the the scheme in and of itself i mean we started getting some more and better runs there toward the end of the season uh, but it did seem like a situation to where it was mostly the scheme, but we also had still had some lingering me players instead of we players. Yes. And I, I think it was just a situation to where there was a, a, a bit of selfishness amongst some of them trying to do more as opposed to doing their job. Uh, and that's something else that hindered, hindered us from being able to have a better uh, run offense than what we did. But... As I mentioned before, DeCarion Joyner, 6'1", 229, uh, who is a redshirt senior this year and also wound up getting the uh, COVID year as well as part of it. So he's been there for quite a while. I think he's actually been there since 2017, 2018. Good Lord. Yeah, uh, they asked him the other day, has anybody been calling you old man? He said, "Nah, some of them call me unk, but that's about it. Um, he has actually came in and was recruited as a quarterback, got transferred over to wide receiver, played wide receiver for two and a half years, three years, and is now in his final year getting transferred over to running back. So someone, the person who is going to be our running back one as it stands right now for this year has quarterback room experience, wide receiver room experience, and is now in the running back room. So my thought process, my curiosity is going to be, he knows how to read anything and everything that a defense can put in his way. What's that going to do? How does that help him? How does that give him an edge against defenses in being able to know, all right, if they're set up like this, I can hit the hole here and make my break here and then be able to, you know, break off a 15, 20-yard run. Routinely. He'll be able to communicate that to the rest of his team. Yeah, uh, be, be able, able to, to see them line the, up the communication, and, and not to mention this is something that I actually listened to on the way into work today, is with Spencer Rattler, mm. with DeCarion Joyner, 
with Lenora Sellers, all three of them could potentially be on the field at any given point in time. Some crazy wildcat. In some kind of, yeah, crazy weird wildcat scheme where you've got three potential quarterbacks on the field at one time. That's crazy. Two of them that have got some wheels on them. Annexation of Puerto Rico. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking about on that. Um, And then, of course, we also have a returning junior this year, Juju McDowell, 5'9", 171. That... uh, Similar to Jabari Small in terms of more of that scat back type size, uh, catching passes out of the backfield, stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, heading north and south, getting turned and just, you know, searching out contact. Uh, But I think DK, uh, to carry on, is going to wind up being that type of a running back. Like, he's going to seek out, like, I want you to stop me Mm -hmm. sort of mentality. Uh, Plus, we've also got some incoming freshmen uh, or an incoming freshman in that class, DJ Braswell, uh, that's expected to do some big things. And we also have a transfer in uh, that has a possibility of showing quite a bit for this year. Um, Mentioned his name earlier, uh, Antoine Wells from James Madison, uh, nicknamed Juice, who is 6'1", 208. Um, Actually... His name popped up on the radar as early as game two against Arkansas, mm-hmm. uh, but it was really not until about midseason is whenever he really started catching his stride and, of course, finishing out the season. We know how all of that stuff turned out. And expected to potentially be playing his backup at the two spot as an X receiver is incoming freshman Nicholas Harbor. As a freshman is six foot five, two hundred and forty one pounds from Archbishop Carroll up in the um, uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia area, the DMV as it's known, who is also an Olympic caliber track athlete. So what the the thought process with him is is even if he's not targeted, all they're gonna do is just line him out out wide and just say go just okay. take off take off running Clifford Franklin and yep and replacements yep yeah. we just want you to blaze past this person and that's just gonna have those defensive backs playing off the line and that's just gonna open up those running lanes for people to co- uh for to carry on joiner and stuff like that uh Xavier Leggett who this year uh and this is going to be in a, the Z spot uh, who is listed at 63 uh, 227 pounds. He's a redshirt senior. He's been around the program for quite some time. Uh, he actually put on almost 35 pounds of lean muscle from last year to this year. If you can imagine, he was down under 200 pounds last year as a receiver, and now he's up to 227 pounds this year over what would be the summer workout program, winter and summer workout program. And another one, and this is one of those that not the coaches because you know the coaches are going to use coach speak and stuff like that and they're going to play people up and stuff you know just trying to get their confidence built and everything else but a player is not going to do that a player is going to call you out on your bs or if you're being slow and stuff like that but one of the people that everybody uh coaches and mainly players seems to be hyped about in this receiving core for this year is omega blake it's a wrestler's name (laughs) I'd be excited just to have him on the roster just so I can say, hey, Omega. Right. Hey, he's the end. Yep. 
that's it. That's it. That finished yeah. game. Game. Finish. That's going to be your game sealer. That's bring what it's going to be. End. Yeah, bring in the end. I am the Omega. But Omega Blake, 6'2", 180, and he's a redshirt sophomore. So he's been in the program, but he's lean. I mean, that's a lean 180 um, and has got some some really good speed and isn't afraid to go up for the ball. Uh, There was actually a video not too long ago of him going up over the top of the defender. Had actually spun around like he jumped facing away from the ball and turned around and caught it and landed. It was insane. Um, just has a, a an unnatural knowledge of where the ball is going to be, and if him and Rattler have that type of rapport where he can make a catch like that, I'm just early Odell days. Yes, yes, uh, very very reminiscent. Uh, slot receiver, we got a transfer from uh, grad transfer from Memphis, mm-hmm. uh, Eddie Lewis, who's six foot, hundred eighty eight pounds, and Amarian Brown, who had transferred a couple years ago from Georgia Tech at five nine one sixty nine. Uh, smaller as it would be on the receiver end for our receiving core, uh, but both of these guys have got some serious speed. Uh, so you could probably have, in the way it looks like, it's going to be. Uh, you're going to have some of the bigger body dudes on the outside uh, with being uh, Xavier Leggett, Juice Wells, uh, Nicholas Harbour, if he's going to be in there, and, of course, Omega Blake. Uh, but then in that inside, that underneath, you're going to have some speedy dudes who, like I said, neither one of them are afraid in any capacity to wind up getting hit either. Uh, typically, you would find some of those guys more on the outside uh, just for that speed aspect, trying to just blaze down the field and create that separation. Uh, but we've actually got it on the inside. Uh, one thing you will notice, uh, South Carolina this year does have a lot of graduate transfers, meaning that they have already played basically all of their eligibility uh, in terms of graduating from a school, or they haven't exhausted their eligibility, but they have graduated from the school, so therefore they're no longer basically part of that school they've graduated that's it they're done you know they're not getting anything else scholarship wise or anything like that from the school uh, to do that but they have eligibility left and teams are able to pick them up so that's why you see several uh, graduate transfers um, here for South Carolina Uh, but one of those being tight end Trey Knox who actually uh, came over from Arkansas same as Dow Loggins our offensive coordinator and Trey Knox was in Dow Loggins' tight end room uh, for that duration. So, And he's 6'5", 235, was originally a receiver, transferred to tight end after putting on some weight. And uh, Joshua Simon, a grad transfer, 6'4", 238, uh, from Western Kentucky. So both of our main featured tight ends for this season, as it stands right now, are graduate transfers from mm-hmm. other schools. So we're only going to get the year out of them, but thankfully we've got some other guys coming up behind them uh, that were not out of the portal. Uh, of course, getting into that um, offensive line, the guys that's going to be trying to protect Rattler, keep his uniform from getting so dirty. Uh, and that's going to be uh, starting with the left tackle, Ja'Kai Moore, uh, again, longtime member of the Gamecocks organization. 6'6", 318 pounds, and his backup is going to be Jackson Hughes, uh, who is 6'6", 297, redshirt senior, transfer from Charlotte. Um, Left guard, Trey Jones, again, another one that's been in the uh, program for quite a few years, uh, who fortunately is still a redshirt junior, so he's got some 
time left with the program at 62318 and last year he was also featured as a fullback at different times in different uh, schemes and and formations for the Gamecocks and even caught a touchdown pass or two uh, out of the backfield which was pretty awesome Uh, using the big boys uh, rumbling bumbling stumbling touchdown and Left guard, Trey Jones, another one. Been in the organization for a while, 6'2", 318. Uh, Marky Anderson, incoming freshman, is his backup at left guard, uh, 6'4", 302 freshman. Uh, Vershawn Lee, who has been given a lot of high praises, especially coming in or as a longtime person taking over for uh, last year's center um, at 6'4", 319, and then, uh, redshirt freshman Ryan Brubaker, 6'6", 304. Uh, the compliments for Vershawn, uh, as he's taken over for that first year as the starting center, Nick Gargiulo, who is a grad transfer from Yale at 6'5", 325, has been giving tons and tons of praise, uh, to Vershawn Lee and his abilities. And an interesting fact about about, uh, Gargiulo, Yale only lists or has one captain per year. Like one team captain per year. They don't have like an offensive captain, a defensive captain, stuff like multiple captains throughout. Or like a linebacker's captain and blah, 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 whatever. No, just one captain for the entire team, the person who embodies the leadership and everything else. And it was Gargiulo last year. So we've got that type of, of senior leadership and mentality and coming in for uh, right guard, another person to try to, like I said, uh, help keep Spencer Rattler uptight or upright. Uh, and Trovon Ball, another freshman coming in at 6'4", 337 pounds. So uh, our offensive line looking at it, doing kind of the similar comparison, we're looking at an average of 6'3", on the height, 6'3", 6'4", on the height, and an average of 320 pounds. No, a little less. Uh, about the same, about that 317 pounds from UT. So a little bit more on the height, but about the same weight as far as the people going across the line. So it definitely ought to be uh, uh, fun looking at that. And lastly, uh, the right tackle. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite names, um, Tyshawn Wanamaker, 6'3", 290 pounds. Wanamaker what? Well, you don't want to make a woman do anything these days. Uh, and Kaysen Henry, who is a, a redshirt freshman, uh, came in last year, of course, uh, trying to work into the two-deep rotation but not really getting in there because Tyshawn was in uh, that number two spot. Uh, trying to work for that number one position, but he's 6'6", 300 pounds. Um, but the one that, that really is intriguing and the one that I've been hearing a lot more so, um, and one thing about South Carolina's offensive line is they have actually multi-trained them to be able to play multiple positions across that line. So it's a situation where everybody's pretty much learning every position along the O-line, so in the event someone does go down, uh, they've got someone they can plug and play at really any position and then still have quality depth across Smart. all the positions. Uh, but one name that's been uh, said a lot uh, throughout summer camp or fall camp has been Sidney Fugar, 
uh, at 6'5", 327 pounds as a redshirt sophomore transfer from Western Illinois. They didn't win a game at all last year, but after we get through this, I'm going to pull up a video and show you a video of this guy, and just to see him and listen to him talk is insane. Um, a grown-ass man playing football with college kids is what it's like. Uh, switching over to the D-line real quick. Uh, defensive end, left end, uh, Jordan Strawn, transfer from Georgia Tech, and Tyreek Johnson, uh, redshirt sophomore, Strawn, 6'5", 243. And these are edge rushers, yeah. uh, 6'5", 243, and Johnson, 6'3", 270. Uh, nose tackle, Alex Boogie Huntley, uh, given that nickname because anytime he was going anywhere, he was going full speed. So everybody always tell him around that boy's boogieing. So that's how he got the nickname Boogie. Uh, made a lot of good splash plays last year. 6'4", 298 is a junior, so we've still got some more time with him. And Nick Barrett at 6'3", 327, uh, who's a junior. Defensive tackle, Tonka Hemingway. Like the truck? Yeah. Yeah, his given name is Tonka. Tonka. Yep. Uh, just like the trucks played with as a kid. Uh, 6'3", 285, um, there is actually a, a CB90, Cox by 90, uh, another yeah. outlet uh, for um, Gamecock coverage. And they also have uh, our partners with some former Gamecock alum. Uh, the uh, person who runs CB90 is an alum themselves. Uh, recently bought a couple of bars down in the Columbia area, stuff like that. But he does a lot of artwork, and one of the... Uh, art pieces that they did for um, Boogie or for uh, Tonka was they basically made him into Optimus Prime. That's smart. It's pretty cool. Uh, and he's one of the uh, NIL uh, okay. collectives, based, not necessarily collective, but uh, most anything that they do through the Airbnb that CB90 rents out. Uh, some of the events that they have at the different bars, the sales off of the different merch and stuff like that uh, is all donated to like Garnet Trust and stuff like that, which is the NIL collective for the Gamecock. So basically they're making a little bit of money themselves just to be able to you know live or whatever, but then they're also taking a lot of that money and donating it back to That's the awesome. school for these different things. 63285. Definitely poised to have a really good season, uh, especially uh, trying to get that run uh, run block going. And TJ Sanders, uh, redshirt sophomore, 6'5", 298. And on the opposite end, uh, we've got Jataeus Gear, uh, transfer out of Syracuse, uh, 6'6", 243. Going to be trying to get after that quarterback. Redshirt sophomore, so we've actually got quite a few years with him still left if he chooses to stay. Uh, and Terrell Dawkins, 6'4", 251 transfer out of NC State who is a uh, senior this year uh, redshirt senior so this is probably going to be his last go around uh, one of the featured positions that we as Gamecocks are definitely looking forward to hopefully taking a massive step forward this year and hopefully because of the young talent is going to be that linebacker position and we start off that weak side linebacker with Debo Williams, 6'1", 232, redshirt junior, transfer from Delaware, and incoming freshman Grayson Pup Howard at 6'4", 241. Uh, we're bringing back Mo Kaba, Mohamed Kaba, 6'2", 253. Had an injury last year. Uh, definitely wanting to get him back. 
Um, he's someone that went out in the Arkansas game, second game of the year last year, so we definitely missed him, and that that really did hurt us uh, going down the stretch. But we also have backing him up a sophomore this year, six uh, two two twenty four Stone Blanton. I remember whenever we first got him, and I uh, told you the name of one of the commits that we had just picked yeah. up last year, and you're like Stone Blanton, the Stone yeah, Wall. And that's the type of both him and Mo Caba, Debo Williams, uh, Pup Howard, they've all been listed as headhunters. Um, they're the ones that they're wanting to get downhill. They're wanting to lay a pop on somebody. Um, Clowny. Yeah. Uh, who just signed with a one-year deal with the uh, Ravens, Baltimore yeah. Ravens. Yeah, yep. did. Getting into the DBs, corner safeties. And one of the stronger suits, uh, especially with Clayton White's defense, uh, more specifically, like I said here, with the uh, um, Torian Gray and the defensive backs, their coach. I think that it's going to be a situation to where hopefully uh, South Carolina becomes DBU again, uh, just because it seems like ever since we have had Beamer, uh, Clayton White, and Torian Gray there, that that has been the case. Uh, but returning Marcellus Dial, six, uh, six foot, 195. Transfer from Georgia Military College and Emory Floyd, uh, 6'1", 181, uh, redshirt freshman. Last year, leading tackler on the team, freshman Nick Emanwari. This year, of course, being a sophomore, 6'4", 219 pounds, and Kajuan Banks, 5'10", 173. Free safety, DQ Smith, another freshman last year who wound up having some huge accolades. Uh, 6'1", 214, both Nick Emanwari and DQ Smith are from Columbia. So they are 100% hometown dudes playing for the Gamecocks. Peyton Williams, six foot, 198, uh, redshirt freshman. Uh, right corner, O'Donnell Fortune, been with the guys for quite a quite a while. Six one, 177. Isaiah Norris, 5'11", 183, redshirt senior transfer from uh, Georgia Military College. Couple of people coming out of Georgia Military College. Lastly, uh, Nickel David Spalding, another name to watch out for. Been doing some really good things throughout camp. 6'1", 198, transfer from Georgia Southern, and Keenan Nelson Jr., 6'1", 195. These are all been ones that have been named on just the two deep. We have the chart that's got several other people, and if you listen to any any kind of outlet, any kind of camp rumblings, anything like that, you're definitely going to have heard several of these other names. Place kicker Mitch Jeter, 5'10", 194, of course, handling the kickoff and PAT duties. Hunter Kai Kroger, 6'4", 212, senior, uh, holding for the PATs. Uh, Kai Kroger, also like the man whenever it comes to special teams, has 100% passer rating. And handling the punt returns is going to be Eddie Lewis, and kick returns is going to be Xavier Leggett, who had that 100-yard kick return to the house last year against Texas A&M for the game-opening kickoff. This portion of the Cocky Top Podcast is brought to you by the Gatlinburg Brewing Company. With 16 craft beers on tap and brick fire oven craft pizzas, GBC is the place to be in Sevier County. Gatlinburg Brewing Company has two locations to visit, one on the strip of Gatlinburg and one at 870 Winfield Dunn Parkway beside Tennessee Legend Distillery. When you stop in, tell them you heard about them on the Cocky Top Podcast from Legends Studios. Enjoy and cheers to you, Legends.
that actually goes ahead and takes care of both teams position units um of course you're always looking to improve unless you are number one in something which tennessee had a couple of those for this last year and then it's of course just a matter of maintaining um for the next couple of minutes we're gonna uh quickly be going over uh some of the things that we think are going to be the bigger questions, I guess you could say, or, or bigger thoughts about the Gamecocks uh, and Volunteers, mm-hmm. offense, defense, and special teams. After we get through with our 2023 outlook, we are going to go ahead and look at what our schedule predictions, uh, wins, losses, 50-50s, or potentially trap games into the breakdowns, and what we think our uh, best case, worst case, and most likely scenarios are going to be for this season. The next episode, we are going to bring in some fans, at least one fan from one of the other teams in the SEC East. And then next week, we are going to be getting into our first week opponents, respectively, with Mm -hmm. Virginia for Tennessee and North Carolina, of course, for South Carolina. Uh, If you are playing fantasy football, uh, another thing that you can reach out to us, let us know if you've got your draft going on, if you're looking for a place to be able to have your draft, I definitely recommend reaching out over to Gatlinburg Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've actually got a great patio set up out there. You can go out, enjoy the, the nice evening uh, coming upon fall nights. Watch a few games because they've got all the games pizza, playing on. Get you some craft pizza, craft beer, and, and do your draft. Yeah. Uh, but getting into it, for the Gamecocks offense, we do have some key returning pieces on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, two of the main focal points, I think, for us is really going to be the offensive line, uh, which has some underclassmen who have stepped up into that leading role. But we also have kept or brought in some transfers, grad transfers, like I was mention- mentioning, Gargiulo uh, from Yale. Some other key components along that offensive line, as well as with the the long-term people that have been with the team just finally getting their opportunity to step up into that that leadership role i think it's going to be okay i definitely still have some questions and we're going to have to wait until you know toe meets leather in and it's not against your defense or your offense you know vice versa you're actually getting to play somebody i think they're going to be able to do okay uh, especially if it's a situation where they can keep rattler clean for a while and if they can go ahead and establish pass early be able to get some of those receivers opened up downfield uh people are going to start unloading the box instead of loading the box and that's going to open up those running lanes a little bit more and we're going to be able to to be multifaceted on the offense instead of just being pigeonholed into that passing game and then the other one being the running back like i said also being a big question we've got listed right now as our starting rb someone who was recruited and brought in as a QB got moved to wide receiver for the the one bowl game got brought back to QB and as now going went back to receiver for this last year after that bowl win because Spencer Rattler came in and now is I mean if anything else he's going to go down in the annals of Gamecock history as being a true bleeder of garnet and black yes like he's had the opportunity for several years to be able to transfer and and either better or 
laterally or worsen his situation, don't claim to know the future or what ifs if those types of things had happened. Just the fact that he has gutted it out and done anything and everything going through the coaching changes and everything else that, that has happened, that he has just been there and, and like I said, bled Garnet and Black the yeah. entire time that he's been there. Defensively, really the defensive ends and linebackers are the big question marks here. Are the Gamecocks going to be able to get after the opposing QB off those edge rushers? I'd like to think that because we have brought in either grad transfers or what would be some redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors for those types of positions, along with the people that, you know, Jordan Strong we lost last year due to injury. Uh, Again, game two against Arkansas, there's that many games that we didn't have and again, another proven edge rusher to be able to do that stuff, which is why we didn't get as many sacks and stuff like that last year. On well, our offense, that's that's where we were with Tillman last year. Yeah. Like game two. Yeah. And he was never the same. Yep. And then whenever he was able to come back for South Carolina, it still wasn't. Like, yeah, yeah he made some plays, but, but it wasn't, wasn't Tillman. Tillman, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the same thing with the linebackers. I mean, is it uh, – and as well as the, the – the center of the defensive line i mean are they going to be able to plug those gaps are they yeah. going to be able to to stifle the run and not give up almost 200 yards a game rushing every time they hit the field the secondary is once again set up to be the strength of the gamecocks defense i really don't see too many teams trying to try our dbs i mean it can happen i mean i'm not going to say it's not yeah. going to happen but, uh, I get it. but it's it's more than likely not going to be the situation and then of course once again the Gamecock special teams are definitely going to be a a huge focal point one of my favorite visuals was the block punt in the Kentucky game Mm -hmm. where the Carolina defender came through the line the Kentucky punter got the ball off like kicked it but the defender was so close that the ball just went straight back to the ground but was still spiraling Mm-hmm. on the ground just a perfect spiral just standing upright going through all those rotations and then finally fell over but yeah um every single one of the specialists are coming back in mitch jeter kai kroger all of those guys uh the long snapper like every single one of those guys are all the same hunter rogers uh his name slipped my mind for a second um but all those fake plays all those uh fake punts or fake field goals for touchdowns or to extend the play on that fourth down play or whatever, extend the drive on that fourth down play. All those guys are coming back as well as, of course, the the brain behind it all in Pete Limbo, who, for those of you that do not know, he likes to use history, especially historic battles, as references of how to get his point across in his meetings with the special teams. Yeah, and Denzel and yep. remember the Titans. Yep, I'm the the movie reference. Guy. Oh, for sure, <laughs> especially whenever it comes a, a, a reference a, to it for somewhere. Yeah. And and I I've done that not not as much in this instance, but yeah, that's that's always awesome yeah. to to be able to pull those. Did have quite a few of the supporting pieces uh, to the special teams unit. Did get lost to the draft or ran out ran out of eligibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, are definitely going to be replaced. Um, the the special teams bread and butter uh, of Beamer Ball 2.0, as it's being referred to around um, Columbia, uh, just because the fact that and, and I've had this conversation with you. That? Yes, 
the the school has trademarked the Beamer Ball 2.0 uh, just because there was a local personality that does cover Gamecock athletics, mm-hmm. uh, mainly what would be football and baseball, um, and some basketball. Doesn't really get into the the women's athletics or anything past the the big three, as it were, um, but. He does provide some good information and coverage, but he can also be a dick. He trademarked uh, or copywrote Beamer yeah. Ball, um, so that way, of course, I mean, it's all money-driven in yeah. that aspect. Uh, but, yeah, that's why the, the school had to go with 2.0. And for those of you, and I've mentioned it, uh, that may not already know, version 1.0 would have been Frank Beamer, Shane's father at Virginia Tech. Uh, and that Beamer Ball mantra simply is attack in all three phases special teams gives you opportunities to take control of momentum and the outcome of outcome of games so why not treat it as a true third of the game yeah. um and i think because of him man you're going to start seeing other teams start adopting that mantra like god look at what south carolina's done in the short time that beamer's been there with their special teams mm-hmm. we need to start trying right. Our I mean, special teams a lot like of those, third. a lot of those teams that that had one possession losses, mm-hmm. you only lost by three to seven points. That's special teams. What what a special teams could have done? Could it have been just causing uh, one more fumble mm-hmm. or or blocking a kick or or even something just as as simple as you've got someone on the kickoff team that can make it down basically to the other end of the field before the ball to keep them from reaches returning. yeah yeah to be able to get there and be in that position to cause them to to have to do a fair catch yeah behind the 25 yard line or whatever the case may be and yeah it, it, it's and uh that's one of the things i'm waiting to see uh, as far as with nicholas harbour like i said dude 6'5 mm-hmm. 241 pounds with olympic track speed being on special teams this year and being able to get down there like here's the ball just coming off the foot of the punter and he's already standing down there like hi he's just standing there there to go hey what's up huh right the the guys the receiver the punt returners looking up for the ball and then he looks down and then there's nicholas harbour going what's up bro boom Muff punts. Mm-hmm. You're going to have all kinds of stuff like that. But that is the type of stuff that, that, that Beamer Ball is synonymous for. Is Yes, on offense, of course, that's where you score points most yes. of the time. Uh, but defense, fumbles, interceptions, uh, returns for a touchdown, there is the opportunity to score on defense. But, of course, it's mainly to focus on not yeah. allowing the other team to score. But special teams for so long has just been viewed as, oh, well, you couldn't do it, so that's a way to get rid of it, but mm-hmm. not give them the ball that close to what your yeah. you know end zone would be or whatever, or to to start the game or to start the second half. That's how this, or to you know once once a touchdown is made, that's how we basically start the next round reset. or whatever the case may be a reset. Um, but no, South Carolina uses that as. That may be the case, but because of how the rules and stuff are written, we could kick off to you, but if you muff it or if we cause a fumble, then we've got the ball on the 30-yard line, 25-yard line, 10-yard line, whatever the case may be. 
after we just scored a touchdown yeah, we're gonna go again. and we're going to go again. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's that type of mentality, that type of attack, attack, attack. It's like a Blitzkrieg special teams. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely excited to see what they've got. Um, and in this section, I actually went ahead and wrote some questions, uh, just okay. kind of trying to, to, to help you out as far as what someone as an outside okay. of Tennessee uh, – would ask you know about the the 2023 season so um and we've kind of touched on this how difficult do you think it will be for tennessee to maintain the type of offensive output it had in 2022 i mean you had the number one points per game and number one yards per game yeah so i mean is it a situation do you think milton will be able to to keep up with the touch and accuracy that hooker had uh able to provide the receivers Uh, and will the the newer players be able to adapt to this play style as quickly like i said i think that milton has every opportunity and every weapon under his his belt his uh you know batman utility belt to do just that if not better this year uh, especially after backing up to Hendon, he saw the places that he had to get better. Uh, and when Hendon went down, even though he was unable to pull it off against South Carolina, Milton then made the those changes. He and Hendon weren't just, you know, partners. They were roommates and best friends and watched to film together and talked the game together. So it'd be like um, T. Martin was in, in 97 with Peyton in his senior year. Um, because if you know, if you, if you notice in, in our, in a upcoming episode of between two barrels, we talk about Peyton Manning, uh, as one of the legends here and he never beat Florida. I did not know Peyton that. Manning never beat Florida, but then T Martin comes off the block a year after Manning graduates and goes undefeated and national yep. champion. And you have to say it's because he learned from Manning, right? His mistakes, things he did great. And he was a different kind of quarterback. Even though they're very similar, Milton is different than Hendon. Right. Can he do 11-2? and two? That remains to be seen. Uh, we'll get to more of that in our, our best case, worst case. But, you know, I think it's going to be – and I think that, you know, the, the up-and-comers who maybe not – who are playing this year and didn't last year, uh, whether it be transfers or stuff like that, I think we were such a, a national name last year that they saw – they watched Tennessee – Right. They, when Something they, they that hadn't playing. been done in yeah. the last 15 years. They were watching Tennessee, so if they decided, like, I'm going to try to get in the portal and go play at Tennessee, they had already seen film and watched us. And right. So I think that they will, some of these new people, and I think Hopple's been so good about getting people up to speed. No pun intended. <laughs> right, because it is a very fast it's offense. It's a very fast offense. Um, it's so fast that even, you know, being there and seeing it live in Neyland, you have to stay on your toes as a fan, just watching it all. Like you can't, right? Blank. Because you can't go most, to the bathroom. You, yeah, you might have missed a whole touchdown. It seemed like most everything was a two-minute drill for yes. Tennessee throughout the yes. entire year last year. It's like there'd be times where, like, my older brother would would go to the bathroom or, or he'd go get a beer, um, and he'd come back and he'd say, <laughs> "What did I miss?" I'm yeah. like, "Well, we've scored twice since you waited in that long line. Like right. it's just fast." Yeah. Um, Milton has the legs. To, to be that fast quarterback, but you know, it's going to come down to that you know that game time decision and game time momentum if Milton's going to be his best self. Um, 
if you go to the watch some of the media days where Milton's interviewed, and that's one of the things that he talks about is he was like, uh, you know, with Hendon not here, is I have to not just be the best Hendon, that Hendon was. I have to be the best that I know I am. Right. And you're always going to see me smiling and laughing, no matter how bad or how good the game's going. You know, I'm all, I, one thing I learned from Hendon was I had to be the best Joe Milton, not just quarterback. Right. So I think he's ready. I think he's headstrong enough to to do it now. And, and most of these receivers have already worked with Joe. So I think hopefully that rapport is there. Yeah. For your all sake, for mm-hmm. the for the volunteers' sake, and all you all vols out there, mm-hmm. uh, that y'all can replicate that type of success, uh, especially offensively. Now another one of those from the outside looking in. Um, especially since Tennessee was able to score so fast. Yes. That, unfortunately, put their defense on the field for a lot longer time. Mm-hmm. Gassed. In, yeah, the defense would just get gassed. But here's here, here's the thing that, that not necessarily confuses me, but it's it's not the easiest to understand. The same thing was happening to opposing defenses mm-hmm. – just because of how much time they were having to spend on the field simply because of the number of touchdowns that Tennessee was scoring. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like it was the long, sustained drives, Mm -hmm. but it was a situation where Tennessee would score. The defense, you know, would be out there for however long it was during that time, two to five minutes on average, I'd say, was, Mm -hmm. was what a Tennessee drive was last year, which isn't an insane amount of time in retrospect to that 60 hour or 60 minute time limit that that would be the football game Tennessee would score the opposing team's offense would come out Tennessee even though they were number 30 and number uh, uh, 60 something something in in, uh, uh, yards and points allowed Mm They were still getting some stops and stops at the, the, the more opportune times because then that opposing team's offense had to get off the field and their defense had to get back on the field. Well, yes. if the defense hasn't recuperated from all the running around that they had to do from that wide spread that the Tennessee offense had them on on the previous drive or the previous series, they're still trying to catch their breath and get out there, and then that same thing, that same speedy, no time to line up or anything like that, you're having to make adjustments on the fly defensively that that not only was it, it wearing down Tennessee's defense because Tennessee's defense had to spend more time on the field a lot of times, what, that it was also... What it did to us, the way South Carolina played us, making our defense tired and gassed is what we showed holes in Florida and Bama. Right. Florida and Bama have not had to do that. No. Their defense have not been gassed. No. In a long time. So where it showed their holes, what South Carolina did to us, showed us like, oh, we have that same problem. Right. But y'all didn't have to deal with it against no. pretty much anybody no, else. but it's anywhere else. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to say if, if, if our defense – has not bettered since last year, and we don't have the depth, and we don't, you know, if it's just been a, an afterthought, and we're like, oh, well, that was those were fluke, and and that's what I was, and know, that's what I was. My, I don't think we repeat. Yeah, my thought process would be, you know, was it a situation to where the, the potential, 
I don't want to say lack of talent, but lack yeah. of depth. Depth. Uh, in the secondary, um, if, if it's, if is, it's not it fixed. was overshadowed yeah. by the ability to score so quickly. Um, and I, you know, of course, defense defense doesn't have to be, you know, stellar. Yeah. Whenever you know you're averaging forty four, uh, yeah. forty five points a game and, and five hundred yards has to per game, carry its load. Right. It absolutely has um, to bring the balance. Uh, if if that's uh, if even if we take two touchdowns off of our, even if we take one touchdown off of our average per game. Allowed. Defensively, allowed. Yeah. Then we've come a long way. Oh, yeah, for if sure. If we could take two off of our per game allowed, then they That'd have be done fantastic. some damn work yeah. in the offseason. And that's one of the bigger questions, I guess, for yeah. Tennessee, apart from it, can Joe Milton, yeah. you know. Is, can Joe do it? Can Joe be the best Joe that he mm-hmm. can be and be in the realm yes. of Hendon Hooker? Mm-hmm. Um and the defense can take a step in the positive direction as progress instead of regress. Yes. Then, it, I mean. Then I think you very well much could see a repeat of eleven and two, eleven and one, or twelve and one, whatever kind yeah, of ball game. Yeah, going into a, a national championship bid because this is the last year for the four team. Next year yeah. it goes to twelve, and then that's going to open the door for. Quite a few other teams people, to have the potential, you know, to take that opportunity from us. Well, we definitely have looked at offensive and defensive side of the ball for UT in this, and we kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, but as far as Tennessee special teams, while they did record some stats in the special teams column, uh, it wasn't as flashy as some of the teams, mm-hmm. um, but they did fare okay. Uh, like we said, over they made over eighty percent of attempted field goals, um, but of course that wasn't really necessary when most of the kicks were for PATs. You score a touchdown, you only kicking for one instead of and you know kicking I for the think three. We uh, had more two point conversions last season than we had in yes. a long time. Yes, it was a situation like, where y'all were going for the two, you're doing kicking it. Yep, at which that that in and of itself is special teams yeah. in my opinion i mean because it's part of what would be the kicking unit mm-hmm. even though you're bringing out what would be the basically the offense yeah. again yeah um it's not part of the regular thing at least um and then the same thing can be said for lack of needing to punt you don't need to punt when you're scoring tds no yeah you don't i mean one of the few times was against south carolina that mm-hmm. tennessee actually had to come out and punt a couple of times and he was probably like what, what, what do i do what do i do with this um tennessee's coverage team wasn't abysmal uh there were some decent repar- returns on yeah. on ut but i mean past that i mean there were they were really good as far as making sure that that things stayed stayed fairly Fairly in line and fairly in tune, which of course led to the the uh, final. What was eleven and two? Mm-hmm. Eleven yeah. and two count the ball game. And I mean, like you said, uh, you know, with with Milton, I, th- I think we've we've talked that. But I think hopefully, since there's been so much similarity in our programs in the last decade, you know, struggles here and there, losing seasons, barely bowl game seasons. The way that South Carolina has handled that special teams, I, I look at Heupel and his staff as some, as a crew that would look at that and go, 
we should probably do the same thing. Right. If we're going to air raid offense, then we need to create an air raid style, blitzkrieg style special teams the way that South Carolina has. Uh, because it has it stumped us mm-hmm. and it has stumped some some you know oh, more uh, winning teams than us. The the so, A and M game, yeah. looking back at last year, the A and M game was a special teams decided game. Uh, Kentucky was a special teams decided game. And I think that Clemson was a special teams decided game. A couple of games in and, and we've even if we win our first three games, which you know our our third game is in the swamp against Florida, who could, you know, possibly be like an animal backed in a corner. Yeah, you know. I we, mean, that's what the, happened the to South Carolina Florida, with them last the year. The curse of Florida and Tennessee has always been: Florida can suck, but we play them early, right? Enough to where it's not a little bit better. Yeah. At like, okay, we got this thing, we got it established enough to like we can beat Tennessee. Right. Um and even then, uh, you know, if, if if we get a few games in and Milton, you know, is doing okay, but we know we can see the writing that it's not going to be a Hendon Hooker season. You right. Know, which hopefully not. This is a worst case scenario type of thing. Special teams and defense is gonna be have to where we shift a lot of like, okay, we're gonna have to pick up the slack. Right. Well, at least you've got, like, Ball State and Akron, yes. I think, to start off the season to, to be able to get mm-hmm. more of that stuff in line. Yeah. I know that a lot of a lot of outlets, a lot of media personalities, especially people who are not of the Tennessee fandom, want to make fun of or or, or say that, that Hypo's system is, is it's gimmicky. Some of the recent things that I've been paying attention to is um, – and before we get to the thoughts and breakdowns, I wanted to touch a little bit on that. The anonymous coaches' polls and comments. Yeah, usually um, the beginning of the season or, yeah. or sometime during the summer after or just before or just after SEC media days. All these coaches have had an opportunity, or media days for any conference in general. Mm-hmm. Coaches have had an opportunity to go through some meetings and stuff yeah. like that, trying to figure out how to better the conference or, or uh, better their division or anything like that. Uh, but you've also had several players that get brought in as representatives, and and the coaches listen to the other coaches, and I mean they watch film, they see intel, and all kinds of stuff. I mean doing game breakdowns and and planning game planning for a particular opponent and stuff like that. So these these comments, those types of comments yeah, that so are coming from the these players and coaches, yeah. know that their name is not going to be attached to these comments. Um, that's legally how these anonymous things work uh, during a lot of media stuff and before fall camp and all that kicks off. It makes them more real because, you know, they're not having to talk coach or talk player or intimidation factors or, you know, like, well, the noise was, means nothing to us. You know, they can turn that off and they can truly say coach speak what they want to say. Yeah, about this is real this as is opposed real. to the coach yeah. speak. So these are just a few real, very real thoughts from some of the players and coaches that have been asked about Tennessee. It is not a fluke team or fluke offense. Uh, that is not a gimmick system. Every coach in this game has systems or strategies. So with that, isn't every system a gimmick? Really with that, I mean, you could say that the Beamer Ball, Beamer ball. Beamer ball yeah. is a gimmick. I mean, 
doing I mean, like we talked about. Like they're doing the attacking on special teams. Was that a gimmick? With the air raid, yeah. air raid, you know, the or- originator, the, of the air raid. origin of the air yeah. raid. Uh, this system is hard to practice against. It hits you like you can't understand. It's like a new age option. You can't replicate it in scout and practice teams in just a few days. No, it's not something that you could do just a week's worth of uh, uh, game prep for to get ready for that. No, I mean, you have to be able to put your DBs on an island with that receiver Mm -hmm. and trust them that they're going to be able to do their job, that they're going to be able to lock down whoever that receiver is because you're spread out so far. And and the the quarterback then it like this person said it's like a new age option you know yeah. the option play um, if you start you don't think it's gonna you know be a good pass play yeah. you can take off running and then you've got a running back that goes with you mm-hmm. or a receiver that's doing the sweep with you that if you're about to get dropped you can lateral toss mm-hmm. it off to them and then be able to go it's it's an extension of that where you know you had the the option the triple option this is like the the quadruple or yeah. the the quintuple yeah. option uh, always always keep them guessing you know never let someone know your next move and and this one i can definitely attest to for 20 plus years i have been going to newland stadium home games uh and this comment was i believe this was from a player uh, when they are up on you, Neyland Stadium is a nightmare to be in. It's back to the way it used to be. And I can attest that last year Neyland was a, an entity unto its own that I hadn't seen in years. So I mean, I know the Aggies talk about that 12th man. Yeah. Like, that's their thing. And they're talking about Kyle Field, all the people there at, you know, the Aggie Stadium. Yeah. There are very few schools mm-hmm. outside of the SEC that can claim, I mean, Penn State being one of them with like the whiteout and stuff like that. Very few schools outside the SEC that can lay claim to having the type of environments that these mm-hmm. SEC schools have whenever it comes to Saturday. Yeah, and it's just, it's literally a culture in the SEC. Oh, for sure. It's such a culture that you don't see many places. Well, from our first episode, I mean, one of the things that Jim Morrison, mm-hmm. uh, former head coach for South Carolina, uh, was quoted as saying, if it ain't swaying, we ain't playing. Yeah. Meaning that if if that stadium, if Williams-Brice isn't rocking, then nothing's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're either getting our asses handed to us mm-hmm. or – I mean, that's the only other alternative. I mean, because if it's rocking in Williams-Brice, I mean, if there's, you know, plays being made offensively or defensively, um, it's loud in there. I mean, last year for Tennessee during the Alabama game and for South Carolina during the Tennessee game, they were registered on the Richter scale Mm. for causing, you know, tremors. Yeah, people. Yeah, a collective of people were able to do that inside those stadiums. Some of the stuff I would say to the naysayers is uh, in these anonymous moments, there are coaches and players, some who, who didn't even play us last year. Right. Uh, who are saying like, no, that's, that's... That's that's not that's not a fluke. That's not a fluke. They're, they've they've they, finally found their, their They've person got it, yeah. And their people, so... And hopefully this is a situation where we now go into a where it was Fulmer and Spurrier mm. to now a yeah, Beamer and Hypel yeah. type war. That's what I really hope. I hope that, that 
Especially since you or, know, we're going to lose you or in our season. So right for this next year, and yeah. I don't know how the rotation is going to get to to be able to get it to where Georgia and Tennessee's back on South Carolina's schedule. But I hope it's not a situation where we permanently replace you and Georgia with Alabama and LSU. Because that be two nightmare games added. I mean, list. it's like t- South Carolina's already got the number one toughest schedule in the country. For this year, anyway, and is literally usually in the top ten since they've been in the SEC and toughest schedules in the country. We're gonna take average number six through number ten team and replace them with average number one through number five teams. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on! I get it. Like iron sharpens iron, and the more accolades that you can do, that just yeah. makes it that much bigger. And me, as a Gamecock fan, I would be ecstatic as still being one of the now three teams that has beaten Alabama Mm -hmm. in the last 13 years in that aspect. Um, But still, I mean, come on. It's like I know if we were to get to a point where South Carolina could win those types of games or has at least, you know, you go into the game with the mindset of we can do this. Oh, yeah, why not? Uh, you know, that why not us why mantra? Not us? Um, it's just a lot. It's a lot less. I mean, right now, right I mean, now. realistically, no garnet yeah. glasses. Realistically, I mean, yeah. it's it's one of those to where it seems like that's that's going to be an even taller order than mm-hmm. than Tennessee or Georgia. Um, speaking of, we are going to get this pretty wrapped up. We do have our season thoughts. We're going to uh, quickly run down uh, who our opponents are. Uh, we're going to list off whether or not. That, in our opinion, is going to be a win, a loss, or a toss-up, or 50-50. Uh, and then after we go through the entire schedule, we are going to give our quick thoughts on what our overall, in my case, garnet glasses, or uh, in your case, Tyler, the Vogels. 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 Uh, best case scenario, basically, mm-hmm. this is our, not necessarily pipe dream sort yeah. of thing, but this is... If everything went the way that we think it on could paper, go it on paper and everything else, this is like our our inner fangirl mm-hmm. or fanboy, whatever, yeah. uh, wanting to to be like this is this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we'll also provide our more realistic best case scenario, uh, worst case scenario, yep. and of course, what more than likely we think will yes. happen for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually going to go ahead and turn it over to you for that and uh-huh. let you get started for the, the Tennessee schedule and what you think is going to happen with those. Uh, and then we'll go through Carolina and then we'll hit our uh, best case, worst case, most likely. Uh, well, I mean, we open up, as I've said, uh, in Nissan Stadium against Virginia. Uh, Virginia is... is already opening up quite possibly a trap uh we cannot go in Eric. we cannot go and go on like dude we're right it, it's virginia like yeah we don't play well, them it's the, the first rig, game of the season and it is anything can happen college athletics game. has yeah. no preseason of any kind there's no, no uh yeah, exhibition or scrimmages it, you know? game yeah you, you <laughs> and, start and granted full it's not a, a conference game it's not going to affect our sec championship opportunities but your overall record but for yes, sure absolutely uh then of course we uh what do you we, think about that virginia game i think it's going to be a good game um i think you quite possibly 
could see more people in the seats for that game than you do for most Titans games on Sundays. <laughs> uh, seeing as With how, the way it's been the last yeah, couple of years, for sure. Seeing as how Virginia's not that far a drive, uh, so no. why not travel yeah. to Nissan for a cool third-party game? Um, and plus, you know, they're probably thinking the same thing, like we're open up against Tennessee. You know, like, point, we like, can so start off one. this year by being yeah. like we took down yeah. the, the Orange Walkers. Yeah, we took them down. While it's going to be our tone-setting game, in most people's eyes, I also don't think we should look at it as a tone-setting game because, again, they are not SEC. Right. They are not what we will be playing most of the year. Your uh, your your vulgar wearers yes. are going to look at the outcome well, of done. this game of well, it's over. Season's already over. If it's a if <laughs> it's a potential negative, even yeah. though the Tennessee may get the dub, yeah. if it's a close score or something like that, yeah. then yeah, they're going to be like, that's it. Season's done with. Yeah. Um, then of course we bring Austin P to Knoxville, and I think I think that's a win uh, pretty easily. But then at this point we go to Florida. Okay, so right. we could potentially because I think they have. Uh, either Colorado or Colorado State at number one or two in their schedule. So we could possibly, even if we're going into an O to Florida. Right. We could possibly be going to the swamp against a one-and-one pissed-off Florida. Oh, you're talking about Florida's first game? Yes. They're traveling to Utah. Utah. They're playing the Utah Utes Utes in game one. They could lose their first game, win their second game. Which... Which be pissed Florida off. almost lost that game last year in the swamp, mm-hmm. and they're having to travel to Utah this year. Yeah, so I mean, we could be two and zero going into an angry one and one swamp, which is not an easy place to play. No home field advantage, especially in the SEC, mm-hmm. is a thing. Is a is a definite thing. Yeah. So we de- and even though last year was fantastic, we we cannot take that one for granted. Uh, I think that it can be another win uh, if we if we play even better than we played them last year. Right. Then I think we can win because, like I said, they can suck the rest of the season. But, but they're going to play a rivalry. Yeah. For in the nineties and early two thousands, is it didn't matter how bad they were. Tennessee, Florida was always a game. Yeah. So do not sleep on that game. And then, of course, we have UTSA coming to Tennessee the next week. I think that's a win. University of Texas, San Antonio. Antonio. Um, They're going to be running around screaming, remember the Alamo. Alamo. Um, Oh, dude. You're welcome. (laughs) There you go. UTSA coming to Knoxville. So you're gonna have guy. you're gonna have San Antonio, and then you're gonna have the Davy Crockett dressed uh, attire dressed volunteer on the sidelines. Like, just shout, "You're welcome!" The whole game. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, that's uh, what the you need to contact uh, University of Tennessee Athletics mm-hmm. and tell them for that Starting game out. that just chanting, you're welcome. You need to put Play up on a the whole screen video package. Yeah, you're welcome. Of like, you're welcome, Texas. You're welcome, San Antonio. Uh, so, and then of course, you know, we got South Carolina uh, on the 30th of September, and I think that's easily just as much a trap game as, as that it, opener against as Virginia. That opener against Virginia. Uh, yeah, you're coming to Neyland, and it's been a nightmare to play there for some for teams, especially when we're ahead or pissed off. But again, this is, you know, right. 
this is another opportunity for South Carolina to prove. That uh, and you've our got, yeah. game last year wasn't a fluke. Wasn't a fluke. So because you've got one was, team hosting who has to prove it was a fluke. And you've right. got the team coming ready to upset again who prove it's not a fluke. So those are like going to be the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. It's right. going to be that both have this this idea to prove. Right there at what would be dangerous. mid-season, mid-season yes. schedule. And uh, we will obviously have we'll, – of course, we'll have an open date after that week. Um, Same. So both teams are going into this game, and it could quite possibly be one of the better games on both of our schedules. You know, For sure. Just all-around games. Uh, and as I said, uh, our first weekend of October, both, both our teams have open dates. Uh, October 14th, we are hosting Texas A&M, the old Aggies. Again, you know, we cannot sit on that game. That could also just be another trap game. Especially with the way the the national pundits are are discussing A&M this year. Mm -hmm. Whereas last year they had, yes, that number one recruiting class from the previous year, but they were all freshmen. Yes, so yep. now they're going into what would be their sophomore year. And not to mention, they also have uh, Sark mm-hmm. as the offensive coordinator over there now. So, I mean, there's that's why one of the reasons why Texas A&M, after having the crappy year that they had last year, are ranked in the top 25 at number 23 in the preseason AP poll. Yeah. I have my thoughts on that whole preseason stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then after that, we got Kentucky. Uh, you know, I, I said last episode, Stoops has done amazing things at Kentucky. But statistically speaking, At the end of Tennessee the day, it's still Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, Tennessee beats Kentucky. I um, can't say that from the Gamecocks' perspective because we're coming off of a rather extended losing streak to them. So... Um, and then, of course, the next weekend we are hosting Connecticut. I believe that's going to be our homecoming game. Um, we learned a few years ago why you don't put hard games on homecoming. Oh, you true. Because can get embarrassed in homecoming. Yeah. Um, I've not kept up on Connecticut as a football team. I know UConn always has fantastic basketball teams. I've never known them to be a football school. Not really. So I'm pretty much saying that's a win. And the same thing the next weekend for Missouri. Even though we're going to Missouri, I think they they made their impact when they debuted in the SEC, but they've only gone down, 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 down. Uh, perspective. Yeah. Perspective. Um, as a Carolina fan, that's not so much the case. Uh, we've actually not done as well as we probably should have done mm-hmm. against Mizzou. Um, but I will say – and this is another one that I heard over the last couple of days. Columbia is a very difficult place to play, regardless of which Columbia it is, South Carolina or Missouri. Yeah. Um, Como is not a joke. Um, I'm hoping for another rain game this year because mm. uh, one of the last dominant performances that South Carolina had over Mizzou was a rain game. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were people just – slipping and sliding all over the place but it was a fun game to watch yeah. so I'm, I'm hoping that we can have something else like that again this year and our next to last game of the season is Georgia um, 
Which that Lincoln, one, depending Tennessee. on yeah, depending on how that the the season prior shapes up, I mean that right there, the next to last game of the season in the SEC East could be the deciding factor as to who's going to play for the SEC yes, championship. Exactly. Uh, obviously, this is the one that everyone's like, well, if we do repeat then or do better than last year, That's this the, is our loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, but coming to Neyland, it could change things drastically if we keep that Neyland nightmare up against them. And, uh, you know, I've it's been very rare to see a three-peat team. So very rare, very rare. So this could. Well, I'm hoping that South Carolina can take care of that early in the season. The air out of them. Yeah, and of course our last game, Vanderbilt. Old Commodores. Poor Vandy. They're such kind, smart individuals. They keep the conference GPA up there where it needs to be. Absolutely. So absolutely. Um, you know, with my vloggles on, my vloggles on, I'm saying eleven and one. Only lose to Georgia and go back to a New Year's Six ball game. If not, you know, like I said, that maybe if not playoffs at that point, possibly our one loss to each other could be each other. Right. That's with our my Vogels on. Right. Realistic best case scenario, I'm saying ten and two because we pissed off Bama last year and right. we're going to Tuscaloosa. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, there's that, losing to Bama and Georgia. My most likely, and some people are probably going to be like, wow, you know, you're taking the, the air out of what like, is is 9-3 and three. Um, because right. we're also going to a pissed-off Florida in the swamp. Right. Uh, we've, you know, you could lose to Florida, Georgia, and Bama. Uh, Florida's upset. And like I said, they could be 1-1 one and one and like a rabbit animal backed into a corner mm-hmm. and back – a gator into a corner it's not a right. fun thing in real life or in football georgia's georgia and bama will as well be pissed and have home advantage right so realistically we could be looking at a nine and three season and want to start another 16 17 year streak yeah which i don't think it's going to go that no. long again um worst case scenario for me is seven and five um we get beat by the big three uh that being and get georgia bama yeah and then get two surprises by South Carolina and Virginia. That also is quite a possibility. But this is kind of like, like what Pate says. is like this, this average of most likely 9-3. and three. If you look at law of averages, like to get that 9-3 and three most likely going to happen. Right. Is you're rolling all these possibilities up into a barrel and, and you know, like Oh, Yahtzee, yeah, you're, you're, you're running throwing, the thing. You're running the thing. You know, there's some 12 and 0s in there. Yeah. There's some five and sevens in there. Oh, you run the the simulation through the the model, quote-unquote, or through the programming a thousand times. Yeah, you're going to have some some perfect seasons. Mm -hmm. You're going to have some some six and sixes or some some five and sevens Mm -hmm. or, you know, on the low end or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, your your average is going to roll out to be, you know, nine and three, ten and Mm -hmm. two, eight and four, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, you know – any of these can happen. Um, you know, a worst, worst case scenario, I, I really don't think that we have a losing season. I think that would just be a what the hell is this. Right. Um, but, you know, it's college football. Right. God, anything can happen. We I get it. I get it for sure. We yeah. go 0 and 12. 
it, and it's 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 always a possibility. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know the movie. I got you on this one. It's called Any Given Sunday, but yeah. this is college football, yeah. so it's any given Saturday. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Switching gears and going over to the Gamecock side of things. Uh, first game up, September 2nd. Uh, same thing, neutral site. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one actually going to be paid at the uh, Panthers Stadium over in Charlotte, North Carolina, versus the number 21 ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, you could open up climbing and knocking them out yeah i mean we could continue what would be the the streak of last year and that's knocking off ranked opponents um it is a repeat of what would have been the duke's mayo bowl uh it's actually being presented as the duke's mayo bowl uh replay classic or something like that uh already but um it's it's Definitely shaping up to be a quarterback battle is what it's being billed as for sure. Um, Drake May, uh, the North Carolina quarterback, right now being listed as the odds favorite to potentially win the Heisman for what would be the 2023 uh, going into 2024 season. A lot of uh, disparity on the secondary through them. They did lose a lot to the portal and had a rather abysmal defense, what would be this last year. Um, Actually went on a five-game losing streak to end the year last year, uh, even though they still managed to, I think, go to the ACC championship game against Clemson and still lost. But nonetheless, um, uh, not a good finish to the season for the Tar Heels as it stands last year. They actually did bring in Gene Chizik as their defensive coordinator. Yeah, Uh personality uh from uh uh, sports media uh on you know espn and all that good stuff yes he is now the defensive coordinator for mac brown over at north carolina um but all things considered i think it's going to be a situation where south carolina's run defense is going to improve for the season uh they're going to be able to get the stop uh and be able to force it drake may to have to try to air it out, and I think our secondary is just going to be too much. Um, so I say that's going to be a dub, but could be listed as one of those trap games for South Carolina starting off the year. Game number two, September 9th, is going to be a home game at Williams Bryce versus the Furman Paladins. If you remember from last week, Furman was the very first game that South Carolina ever played against as a football organization um, on Christmas Eve. While the game is definitely uh, quite a bit earlier in the season, uh, it is against a strong Furman Paladins team who, while they are uh, FCS instead of FBS, um, they are still one of the uh, top teams in their conference. Uh, September 16th versus number one Georgia Bulldogs in Georgia at Sanford Stadium. This one is... I would love nothing more than to see an upset. <laughs> oh, I would absolutely love it. I want a 2018-2019 repeat where we went to Georgia and and just took it to them. I mean, it was... That is another one that people want to uh, put the fluke or, or whatever label onto. Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, it was one of the last big hurrahs that Will Muschamp was able to have. Um, but as you were alluring, or leading to, uh, alluding to earlier, uh, going through the UT one, 
is just that this is a situation to where it seems that there is a possibility early on in the season you really haven't gotten into the groove of things and the fact that Georgia has a new quarterback has several new offensive Finally, line members their 40 year old quarterbacks gone. is gone um, secondary like there are so many pieces that are having to be replaced at Georgia is it a situation to where it's just that next man up mentality and they're able to restock the cabinets like they have been at Alabama for so many years or is it a situation where they're going to take a step back and Carolina with the culture that Beamer has built and carrying off of that momentum especially if we get the dub against North Carolina to begin with we knock them out of the rankings. If we take Furman to the woodshed, do we go into that week three game in Sanford after having knocked off Clemson's four-year home winning streak with no losses? In the top 20. Could we do that and then, you know, be able to take care of business down there? Um, but as it stands right now, I do have that as an L. Um, realistically, I think that's going to be an L uh, as it stands. It may be a close game, but I think Georgia's going to have just enough in the tank to be able to pull that one out regardless. Uh, September 23rd, following week, we come back home for another run at another type of Bulldog, and that's going to be the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Um, not entirely sure what to expect. I mean, yeah, they do have their quarterback coming back this year, um, Will Rogers who is a fantastic quarterback, um, but what's it going to be without the Pirate? What's it going to be like without Leach there? So, I mean, that's the that's the thought process. That's how things are looking there. It has a chance to be uh, a trap game, a 50-50, but I have it listed as a dub uh, right now. That's got us at 3-1 and one on the – or, yeah, 3-1 and one on the year. Uh, going against the Volunteers, what would be uh, September 30th to end out the month of September. So we actually have five games throughout the month of September since we do start really early. Um, and that is going to be, of course, at Neyland. I personally have this list one in, listed right now as a 50-50 uh, just because of the fact that South Carolina's potential for being able to run the ball as well as stop Tennessee's passing attack. And then South Carolina being able to stop also Tennessee's potential running attack and be able to air out. You know what I mean? It's it's simple logic in terms of how the game would be won. But like I said, right now I still got that one listed as a 50-50. Uh, bye week. October 7th, and of course that is the beginning of Cocktober. For those who are not familiar with that term, it seems like every once in a while South Carolina just catches a, a, a little hint of magic throughout the month of October, and it is affectionately referred to as Cocktober. And after that bye week, uh, you guys have Florida before the bye week, uh, before you come see us. We've got them right before, or right we have our bye week right before we have them, and we'll be hosting them at williams Bryce. So hopefully it's definitely a, a better turnout than the 30-6 to loss that we got handed last year and did not score an offensive touchdown. But the following week is whenever we came out and hung 60-plus on Tennessee. 
And it was all attributed to the simplification of the playbook. And this year we're the way everything is pointing, the way everything's been said is the playbook is the same simple playbook that it was at the end or similar to uh, the one that it was at the end of the last year. Uh, after that, oh, and I do have that one listed as a W. I think we split the series from last year to this year. They got the dub at home in the swamp. We're going to take it this year. Uh, 21st, we are away again. It's a home away, a home away, a home away <laughs> throughout the entire first part of the season uh, until we get past the Aggies game. Um, but these two games are away, first one being October 21st at uh, Missouri. Uh, so we are going to Mizzou as well. There in uh, what would be uh, Farot Field. Um, I actually have this one listed as a W. I think this is going to be our first win against Drinkowitz, Eli Drinkowitz. Um, he actually has a winning record against South Carolina going back to where he was co- coaching at App State. And since he has been in the SEC as a coach for the Missouri Tigers, South Carolina has not beaten him. So, yeah, I think we're due. Um, But I also have this one listed as a trap game, so this one could be one of our losses on the season. Uh, 28th, uh, staying on the away. I don't know if they're going to plan on trying to come back to Columbia, especially since it's Missouri to Oklahoma, and those are really close together. I would think it would make sense to stay out there, but they probably won't be doing that. Uh, But, yeah, we are going to be at Kyle Field. Uh, Gamecocks gave the Aggies their first loss in the series last year. Um, This one I have listed as a 50-50 as well. Um, It's either going to be a win or loss. I don't think look at this as a trap game in any capacity. Um, But I think by that time, South Carolina's got all the gears rolling, and they should be able to hopefully take care of business against that uh, younger Aggies team. November 4th. This is one of the ones that Gamecock fans are wanting to or have circled for quite some time because it's going to be a straight-up cockfight. It is one of the first times in history that the Gamecocks have played the Gamecocks, and that is going to be the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. And that game is set for a home game, like I said, at williams Bryce Stadium. And, of course, we do have that one set up as a W uh, for this year. November 11th, another home game uh, against the Commodores. Yes, our last four games throughout the entire month of November, we're playing at home in Williams-Brice. So uh, November 11th versus Vanderbilt. We are currently on a 14-game winning streak against Vanderbilt. I don't want to use the terminology that they are due, but, I mean, there is that possibility. Uh, You, as a Tennessee fan know full well how the Commodores can come in and and ruin. Andrew Luck. No, it was uh, not Andrew Luck. It was uh, Jay Cutler. Ah, Cutler, yes. <laughs> the guy that was yeah. viewed as most likely to potentially be smoking a cigarette in the huddle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> November 18th uh, is going to be the Kentucky game. Uh, I have that one listed as a win, but also as a trap game, uh, similar to the uh, Tigers game. Just because it's Kentucky, you feel like you should beat Kentucky every year, but as you mentioned earlier, uh, Stoops has done a phenomenal job out there in Kentucky, so you can't just completely write off the Wildcats. Uh, But that is also that game that we are planning on having um, Darude 
yes. uh, performing Sandstorm at and everything else. Oh, and I didn't mention this just a moment ago, but yeah, uh, you're talking about scheduling homecomings. We're definitely having multiple away games and then coming back in for a home game stretch, and our home game would be against Jacksonville State. The mm. cockfight is going to be the homecoming game. November 25th in our last game of the season, of course, versus the, uh, at that this point in time, right now, right number nine ranked Clemson Tigers. Uh, this is going to be a home game. I do have it listed as a 50-50. Uh, of course, the Gamecock in me wants to say that that's going to be a dub. Yeah. But, I mean, it is Clemson. They are still up there as far as it's concerned in terms of talent and everything else. Plus, they also have TCU Garrett Riley, TCU's offensive coordinator coming in this year as their OC. So, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, like I said, I've got it listed as a 50-50 because anything can happen inside williams Bryce Stadium in mm-hmm. any given Saturday. My Garnet Glasses best case, of course, same to you or same as you, 11-1 season. Uh, I'm looking at our losses being to either Georgia or Tennessee just because of how everything shapes up. I think we have a bit of, bit better chance of beating anybody else on the schedule apart from these two. Um, my realistic best case uh, is just ten and two, uh, mm-hmm. just one more loss. Um, thinking that the instead of only one loss to either Tennessee or Georgia yeah. would be a loss to both Tennessee and Georgia. Um, most likely, I want to say eight and four, which would actually put us at. Uh, the same as what we had last year mm-hmm. in terms of regular season wins, um, which isn't necessarily going to be a step back. It's not a step forward. Uh, but if we can sure up some wins like a Mizzou uh, that we haven't done, get one over on Kentucky again, you know, not get one over on Kentucky, but solidly win that Kentucky game again, ones that we have not been winning uh, the last several years yeah. would be – the direction to try to go for that um or seven and five uh with that being said the losses to the above mentioned uh being georgia tennessee um and then with close losses to a&m and or clemson uh and i've got like i said missouri or kentucky as that trap mm-hmm. game for the fifth what would be the fifth loss potentially yeah. um if we are doing an eight and four like i said the losses will be georgia tennessee a&m clemson yeah with the wins over everybody else. Um, actual worst-case scenario, I actually do have South Carolina potentially having what would be a losing record if the the chips didn't fall the right way with our only wins being over Furman, Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is a world that that is possible. Uh, but I think that if that were the case that Tennessee or South Carolina turns around and just has a complete rebound season the following season, um, potentially even making it to what would be the playoffs, yeah. uh, just because we would have a lot of the younger talent that is just now coming in, uh, really getting their major first-time reps this year, um, will be a lot more prepared for what would be next season. Well, guys, that actually brings us our overall uh, thoughts on what the 2023 season is going to look like. Like I said, next time we are going to have some visitors from a couple of our other team fans throughout not only the SEC, but also getting over into potentially some of the Mm -hmm. other divisions. 
And don't forget to check out the newest episode of the Between Two Barrels podcast, which will be dropping next Monday. And we will be highlighting former Tennessee volunteer and, of course, Tennessee legend that is Peyton Manning. Mm, The sheriff. The sheriff. Will not necessarily be in town unless he's got classes starting up over at UT, which is one of the things that we'll actually be discussing in this next episode. But once again, to all you cock and balls out there, we want to wish you an awesome first week, uh, week zero of college football. It has finally made it back, and we will definitely be getting into a more deep dive of our first week opponents for Tyler, of course, and the Volunteers, that being Virginia Cavaliers and the Gamecocks' first opponent, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels, what will be next week. Guys, once again, I'm Brian the Gamecock. And I'm all of all Tyler McDaniel. And we will see you next week.